Consequence Podcast Network. This episode brought to you by the following awesome patrons. Dylan, Matthew, Brandon, Dave, Scott, Tristan, Kate, Sasha, Isaac, Ori, Karun, Eddie, and Chris. And Chris and all the patrons want you guys to know that you're loved, you are listened to, and you are a valued member of this awesome Horror Virgin family. And if you want to stay tuned to what's happening in the Patrioticals and all the other shoutouts that we do, stay tuned at the end of the episode to find out what's happening now. My safe word is, ah, ah, ah. I will get to it because that was something I had a problem with the first time I saw the movie as well. And in the director's cut. We need a laugh line page, not a lecture. Uh, thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin, Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, Paige made us watch Midsummer. So this was not the first time that any of us had seen this movie, right? Right. That's right. correct. Paige, I know you love this movie. So let's talk a little bit about why you love this movie, because I'm genuinely interested. I love this movie for a few different reasons. I feel like... Now, granted, I also really like Wicker Man, so I was predisposed to like this movie. Sure. I, I honestly have no frame of reference for Wicker Man, so I don't know what that means. We but... probably should have had you watch Wicker Man before this, but... <laughs> it's like the required reading for Midsummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I would say it's required reading for Midsummer. A, I, I spend a lot of my free time for my other show studying cults, and I think this movie gives a almost textbook depiction of why people join cults i think it's oh, very yeah. very good at that yeah um i think the cinematography of this movie is excellent that is why this movie is watchable for me holy yes. shit it's beautiful it is a beautiful movie yeah. um i do think it is long i understand why people get frustrated with it i understand why people don't re-watch it because here's the thing i love this movie i have only seen it four times and you love it and i love it and i enjoyed watching it last night again just at home and my computer but i feel like to enjoy this movie a you have to be kind of predisposed to liking movies like it it is not a movie for everybody right. i will fully admit that you have to have been wicker manned to enjoy this movie you have to have been wicker manned uh, and you you really have to kind of surrender yourself to the feelings of discomfort in this movie yeah and be willing to sit and live in that discomfort for the better part of three hours yeah you have to be okay with that yeah i think that's why i have a problem with it because i sit in that kind of discomfort every hour of my real life did it feel like your job it felt a little like my job where it's like dark and awkward and hard yeah i'm like oh this is not why i watch movies I see why people love the movie. I don't personally like the movie. Yeah. I love the cinematography. Do not get me wrong. And I, and yeah. I love the themes and stuff, but it is too dark for me. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why there are a lot of people that try to argue that this is not a horror movie. And I feel like it is. It is just a very specific kind of horror movie. And I personally tend to really like horror movies like this. They are also, for me, some of the most effective. These are the kinds of movies that scare me more 
where I really have to kind of sit in that feeling of fear and dread for a long period of time, it really does bother me. The first 15 minutes of this movie are probably the hardest thing I have almost ever had to watch in a film, personally. Yeah, it is rough. On a lighter note, I do think the Scooby gang should have ran away long before anybody. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. Why the fuck did they stay? Yeah. I will bring some some cult psychology into this for why she stays, at least. Well, I saw this movie for the first time in the theater at a meetup that we all went to uh, here in Nashville, and it scared me in the theater. I probably... I don't even know if we talked about it afterwards. Usually we sort of hang out afterwards and talk. And I probably would have given it probably a five or six mm-hmm. on the scary scale, seeing it in the theater for the first time. Tonight it was not scary at all. We'll talk about that when we get to the scary scales. Yeah, yeah. For me, a five or a six, the first time I saw it in theaters, definitely accurate. Yeah. I will say it's definitely less scary the more times I've seen it, but I've also enjoyed it more every time I've watched it. That's fair. Especially... Uh, when watching because I did see the director's cut in theaters as well. Yeah, so I didn't. I've only seen the theatrical cut twice and I Mm -hmm. did not enjoy it as much the second time as I did the first time. Although I didn't really like it the first time very much either. It's not a bad movie. It's just slow. You could cut out an hour of this movie and tell the exact same story. You would just lose a lot of the beautiful cinematography, which yeah. I'm sort of okay with. I mean, I, I'm a nerd for that kind of stuff, but I definitely would understand someone saying um, that movie's real boring. And I'd be like, I get it. It is. I agree with you. You could cut an hour out of this movie and tell the same story, but you wouldn't have the dread. I think some of the dread lives in some of those quieter moments of this movie. And it that's why it kind of builds the whole movie. I agree. I think it's such an effective movie and it is a good yeah. quality movie about that i just don't like it's it. unpleasant to watch it like mm-hmm. it really is all right well let's get into this fucking movie because we got to talk about it so the film opens on a tapestry and within this tapestry we see the entire plot of the film from the left to the right now this is actually very very notable because the movie does this multiple times progress in western or european movies tend to move with the shot from left to right because in those cultures that denotes progress moving forward yeah and they read left to right because we read left to right subversion of that camera movement can be used specifically to disorient the viewer in this opening scene this does read left to right but later in the movie we will see similar aspects that are read the opposite way yeah the love story at midsummer is the opposite way yeah it's right to left yep so in this tapestry from left to right, we see Danny's family and what's about to befall them in the next couple scenes. We see the tree and the city. We see them traveling overseas. We see Christian and Danny. We see the runes and the throne and the events of the Midsummer Celebration, including some of the more notable ones that we'll get to later. And finally, we see the maypole and a depiction of the bear, which obviously is going to be very significant later on. Right, because pretty Seth Rogen gets sewed into that bear. We cut to a snow covered forest. It is desolate and quiet. Breaking through the landscape, we hear a Swedish lullaby sung in minor chords. And this is very important because it is naturally unsettling. Well, all minor chords pretty much are. That's why they're minor. The landscapes conjure a feeling of beauty, but also death, desolation, and loneliness. And the silence is broken by the sound of a phone ringing. We close in on a small winter town as the phone continues to ring. We focus on one singular house. It's quiet. Everyone is asleep. And we hear the voicemail click 
through. On the voicemail, we hear Danny's voice leaving a message. She's checking in. She's worried about her sister, Terry. She mentions that she's received an email that was kind of scary. And as the camera pans over, we see her parents ostensibly asleep in the bedroom. We cut back to Danny's apartment where she hangs up the phone. She sits back down at her computer and rereads the email from Terry. It's not a good email. No, it's a bad one. It says... I can't anymore. Everything's black. Mom and dad are coming to goodbye. She picks her phone back up, puts it down, picks it up again, and dials Christian. He answers, but he is out with Mark smoking weed and getting pizza. She asks him if they're going out later. And he says, oh, did we talk about doing something? Oh, no. She asks if he's going to come over more or less. Yeah. And he's like, oh, did we talk about doing something? And she's like, no, not anything concrete. But I was just checking in to see what's mm-hmm. going on. Like, can we do something? Because she's right. fucking scared and I would be terrified, you know? Part of the reason the first 15 minutes of this movie are so difficult for me, even now, I had a friend who used to send emails and text messages like that specifically to manipulate people to do what she wanted. And yeah. I'm a person that takes those threats seriously every time. Yeah, call the cops every time someone does that. Every time. Every time. But it's a very stressful situation where I don't want to run the risk of dismissing what somebody says and having it be the time that they do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the one time that your parents get murdered by your younger sister or older sister, whichever one that was. Yeah. Like that's going to ruin your life. Yeah. And I just never want to look back and think if I had acted quicker, could I have prevented this? Yeah. Would I have ended up in this cult in Sweden? (laughs) Right. Which I know is unfair (laughs) pressure to put on myself for someone else's mental state. I was going to bring that up, Paige, because it's like, you know, if you missed your email or anything like that, like. Yeah. You did not kill your parents. Oh, no. You right. are in no way responsible. Right. This movie is so much like work, which is like the opposite reason why I watch movies that it I think it I think it hits a nerve. Yeah. Mikey, do not bill us for these hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I will say. And for me, learning that I had to let go of any guilt I would have over someone else's choices. That was something I had to work through um, when dealing with that person Mm -hmm. that I am no longer friends with but I feel like that's kind of where Danny is in the scene and I think that's why it struck such a chord with me is she's trying to do the same and it is the time when it's bad when she should have taken it seriously right and there's no way she could have known that basically every day at work I come across situations like this and it's like families are freaking out as they should. And like Paige is right. You should take every threat seriously, but some people make multiple threats and it's kind of like a boy who cried wolf situation where you don't know. And it's not your job to know. You're not a mental health professional. How are you supposed to know which threats are serious and which threats are not? Yeah, absolutely. It's just you have to set a healthy boundary with that person to be like, I can be in your life, but if you ever say that, this is my response. I call the police. They come to your house. If you send me a text, an email, anything, that's my response 100% of the time because I care about you as a friend. Right. Uh, some people get mad that people set that boundary oh, and then yeah. still call the police. Yeah. And then you might not be able to be friends with that person. But it's it's very healthy to like, if it happens multiple times, this is way work stuff, is to like set that like, yeah. this is what I'm doing each time this happens. And I do it because I care. Yeah. For me, that was the boundary is this person made a claim that seemed real enough mm-hmm. that I called the cops. And then she got furious that I called the cops. And yeah. that's why we're not friends 
anymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, and I've had I've had that conversation at work where I'll be like, I'll be at somebody's house. They're like yelling at me. They're mad at somebody. And I'm like, look, I'm a mental health professional, man. I'm sorry. You have to go to a hospital because I know you're telling me that you are not suicidal and you're not going to hurt yourself. But you sent a picture of yourself with a gun to your head to your friends. And I have to take that very seriously. And I don't know you. And, like, it could be a real risk. I have to get you checked out to make sure you're okay. Yeah. I would rather have you mad at me and alive than glad that I didn't call the police and no longer with us. I've legit had that conversation. And I'll tell people. I was like, this is serious stuff. This, There are consequences to actions. You're either serious and you need help or... If you do something like this, there's consequences, and we have to take it seriously each time. Yeah. So anyway, this movie's a ball of fun, basically. <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. I I do think it does get very fun later on. Oh but, yeah, it gets but, loads of yeah. laughs. Have you seen the orgy scene, Mikey? <laughs> Hilarious. But she doesn't take it seriously, and he sort of he being Christian. Well, she calls her family to check. Yeah, she she takes it as seriously as she can. I would say. But she doesn't call the cops. Is all I'm saying. Right. 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 She may not have thought to do that. Right. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. But she calls Christian because she's looking for support right and he immediately does not give her any sort of support because christian's a bag of dicks he basically talks her down and he's like hey she does this all the time you gotta stop paying attention to her but he does it in a sort of a dickish way yeah she was like you even said that email sounded weird and he goes was it like he's like turns it back around on her i will propose this he says kind of the right words to talk her down but we as the audience know his intention is absolutely shitty yes yeah the one thing i i didn't like that he said is it's not wrong but i think the way he said it is a problem uh, where he says whenever you do this you're telling her it's okay so you're making this okay for her yeah and what he means is you need to set clear boundaries for your right. own well-being but that's not what he says he essentially blames her yeah. yes but this guy's a huge dick what is this guy's name christian christian which i think it's very funny that the main guy character's name is christian and they go to a pagan midsummer festival and he gets sewed into a bear costume and murdered yeah that's a reference to the wicker man i haven't been wicker manned i'm sorry yeah it's a hardcore <laughs> wicker man reference it could also be a reference to like every guy named christian i've ever met is kind of a douchebag i <laughs> knew two different christians in high school mikey and you are absolutely right <laughs> so he says to danny she does this because you let her danny basically replies i don't let her she's bipolar like this is she needs help essentially yeah she does she needs to be medicated yeah and he tells her it's just a ploy for attention and so danny acquiesces and basically says you're right i just need to be reminded thank you i love you and she hangs up and she starts calling someone else. And this, I think, the second phone call to a friend that we never, ever meet in the movie. Right. I think gives us a really good look into who Danny is at this point in the story. And why I think she is ripe for a cult to prey on her later. Because she's talking to a friend and she is actually worried that she's scaring Christian off by expressing her concern about her sister. And so she is having essentially a struggle of both. A, she's worried about her family, worried about her sister, hasn't drawn a clear boundary that we know of, but, you know, also has reason to be concerned. But she is equally concerned that her very emotions, her very state of being is enough to drive someone else away. And it is worth stifling that to keep that person, which is 
not great also. She is pretty codependent, I would say, in this scene. Yeah. And later through the movie as I well. mean, yeah, that's like her biggest issue, I think, in this movie. Yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. she, over the course of this movie, remains very codependent. Yeah, I, I would say that character trait of hers is what allows a lot of the rest of the movie to happen and in some ways when we look at these characters and think like well what if they didn't go i think for her my question would be what if she broke up with christian earlier and got therapy like what if he had dumped her maybe her life would be yeah in a much better place (laughs) there is definitely a point at which christian really wishes he had dumped her oh yeah and it's right here well i I would say it was yesterday Uh, From this point. (laughs) Yeah, from this point. Yeah. Uh, Because we do cut back to him in the restaurant with his friends, and they are all, for the most part, encouraging him to break up with her, where they basically are saying, you don't like her. You haven't liked her for a long time. Your relationship's not working. You should break up with her. I mean, they're legit saying, you've been on the fence about this for like a A year. year. And when I heard that the first time, I was like, they've been dating a year? It seems like they're casually hooking up. They've been dating for four years. No, no, I know. I mean, that thought Mm -hmm. in my head happened twice because we find out that they've been dating. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was like just over three and a half years, Paige. Yeah. Uh, And then he and then he gets corrected to four years. That blew my mind that they were together that long. Well, he did have his one friend say, like, do you actually know what you really should be working on? And his friend was like, what? Yeah, I think Josh is actually right in this scene because I do think he keeps Danny a little bit at arm's length because Danny is easy. Danny will never leave him. Literally, it takes a cult for her to leave him. I think that kind of typifies who Christian is in this movie. He doesn't really want to commit to a thesis. He's fine just kind of coasting by. He doesn't want to break up with Danny because if he doesn't have to, then she's just around and she'll always be around and he'll never have to think, further than that isn't that what you want in a relationship ladies just someone who wants you around occasionally yeah christian's the worst he's pretty bad he still gets raped and murdered in this movie but i mean again we will have to address the director's cut on that one i do think consent is nebulous in this cut of the movie absolutely yeah so they're all encouraging him to break up with her this is the first time we get the introduction of you'll be able to hook up with swedish girls when we go to europe in june (laughs) that's really all mark cares about in every scene he is trying to get laid and i respect that (laughs) i honestly think mark is my favorite character in the movie just because he's so over the top douche that it's like laughable and he plays it very well yeah He's just in the wrong movie. We'd love him if this was Eurotrip. Oh, or yes. if this is like like a Porky's remake. Like he belongs in a Porky's remake, not this movie. Right. But he's playing it like he's in a Porky's remake. But also, is that the kind of trip you're expecting to go on when your two like friends are like, we want to study the culture of a cult in Sweden? Absolutely. If you're a single dude in college going anywhere, you're thinking about getting laid. It doesn't have to be Europe. It doesn't have to be to a cult anywhere. That's what you're thinking about. Mikey, you were a single dude in college. I'm a single dude now. <laughs> Mikey, you want to go check out this cult? No. (laughs) I also think, remember, it is not presented to them as a cult originally. It's presented to them as a commune. But that's the same thing. It's not the same thing. I mean, often there are overlapping circles. Yes, but (laughs) it's definitely a red flag word. It is a red flag word. But I think in their minds, it was a lot closer to what they see the first day they're at the commune, which is like psychedelics, free love, young people. And then it turns out to be something 
very different. But I think that's what they're all expecting. And I think that's what Pele has sold it as, as well. Oh, you mean soccer star Pele, who was in this movie? <laughs> yeah, Pele. Yeah. <laughs> the Hawaiian god of volcanoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we went from Brazilian soccer star in the 70s to Hawaiian god of volcanoes. Yeah, Pele. To Swedish guy who murders people in this movie. Yes, murders by association, I would yeah. say. Definitely. So, as they're discussing their trip, Danny calls again. And Christian answers the phone, even though Mark tells him not to. And Mark won't even get out of the booth. He makes yeah. Pele and Josh move because he's like, yeah. no, I'm not going to like let you have privacy while you talk to Danny. Right. And as he answers the phone, all we hear through the phone are Danny's anguished screams. Yes. I feel like she does such a good job here. Her screams and crying in these scenes are tangibly painful. She does a great job. Like her emotional work in this movie, which is all over this movie. You could pick any yeah. one scene and call it out. She does amazing emotional work in this. She's amazing in this movie. Yes. As we cut away from him on the phone to her parents' house, we hear the music rise and it is discordant strings purposefully. Mm -hmm. And we track through the house where the fire department is there, turning off both of the cars in the garage and following hoses up through the house to the parents' room where they've died of inhalation in their sleep. The door is duct taped closed with the hoses basically duct taped under the door. We see her parents zipped into body bags. We track down the hallway to her sister who has taped a hose to her own face and died choking on her own vomit. All of Danny's emails sit unread on the computer behind her. We watch as Christian approaches the apartment and we cut to the inside where he cradles Danny as she continues to scream in anguish. She's crying so hard that her voice is literally failing. And this is Florence Pugh, like, awards. All the awards for these scenes. <laughs> She's so good in it. She yeah. won't win any because it's a horror film, but she yeah. deserves all of them. And honestly, same with... <laughs> Same with uh, Hereditary, and I forget the main character's name. Uh, Tony Collette, man. Tony Collette, yeah, she was amazing. Yes. But they'll never even get nominated because it's horror, which is bullshit, man. So we get basically a close on her wailing in Christian's arms, and we cut over her out the window into the title card of the movie. Yeah. This reminded me a lot of the scene in Hereditary when Tony Collette walks out into the driveway and we just hear her. God, I hate that scene. Chilled to the bone, man. Yeah. Oh my God. When Ari Aster does grief, he does grief. That's one thing he's good at, man. Yeah. I mean, he's good at many other things, but this is one thing he excels at. Yes. We cut to months later. It's no longer winter. Right. But Danny is curled up on her bed in the middle of the day in sweats and a sweater, and she stares at the wall emotionless. Behind her, Christian walks into the room. She gets up and asks where he's going. He says that he's going to a party for 45 minutes and tells her to keep sleeping, but she agrees to go with him anyway. You say agrees. He did not invite her. No. He was very much, hey, I'm going to this party. I'll stay 45 minutes, which we all know was a lie, and then I'll come back or whatever. You go back to sleep at fucking noon. It's so bright outside. There's no way it's right. not like whatever. And then she's like, I'll, I'll go with you. And he's like, Ugh, all right. He's yeah. the worst. He, yeah, he's pretty rough. They go to the party, but Danny is largely zoned out until she hears him and his friends talking about how they're all going to Sweden with Pele. And mainly because Josh is going for research, Mark wants to smash some babes. Yeah. And then Christian kind of downplays his involvement. So he's kind of playing both sides where he's definitely told his friends, I'm going, can't wait. 
fuck my girlfriend. She'll stay here. And to Danny, he's like, I'm still thinking about it. I don't even know. And he hasn't even brought it up to her. Yeah, I don't even think she knows about it at this point. No, she doesn't. I don't think so either. Why wouldn't he just man up and be like, I want to go on this trip with my guy friends? Well, I think he didn't want her to know and didn't want her to want to go and felt bad about leaving her alone. And he's also someone who just like puts everything off to the last minute. Yes. And he was probably going to break up with her and then immediately get on a plane, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. I think that was his plan because I think he also wants to smash some babes. I think this is going to be his, like, ticket out of there. Yeah. And I think he was putting it off to the last minute because here's the thing. No one wants to be the person that breaks up with someone that just lost their entire family months before. That's what I was getting at with the whole, you know, he, I'm sure he wishes he broke up with her a day before that happened. Yes. Now, I mean, that is a horrible thing, although I do ultimately think Danny would be much better off. Me too. But only because he's such a bad dude. Yeah, he's a horrible dude. Like, you can see it even play out right here in this scene because they start talking about going to Sweden and he's like, well, I'm probably not going to go. I don't even know if I'm going to go. I mean, I might go. I mean, we'll talk about it later. I don't even know. Like, but it's like this weird thing, right? And she sort of just acknowledges that it's weird, doesn't really say it, but you see it on her face. And then when they get home, they have a conversation about it that breaks my fucking heart. Here's something, because this next scene is one of the scenes that is extended in the director's cut. Oh, interesting. Tell me everything. Spill the tea. Yeah, the director's cut includes an additional 30 plus minutes, about 80% of which is Christian's storyline making him a worse person. A worse person? Yes. What, does he become a serial killer of babies? (laughs) It lays out, and this is one of the scenes where it does it specifically, it lays out the narrative that he is deliberately gaslighting her, that he is manipulative and has been manipulating her the whole movie. But I mean, I feel like that's pretty obvious in the theatrical cut of this scene too, that he's gaslighting the shit out of her. I thought it was as well, but in talking to a lot of people after they saw this movie, they were like, I mean, he seemed shitty, but not that bad. And I was like, what now? And then when they saw the director's cut, they were like, oh, just kidding. (laughs) Like, he's a monster. (laughs) I mean, mean, you know, I think he's a horrible, horrible dude. He's the kind of guy that if you ever called him on his gaslighting, he would say something like, gaslighting doesn't exist. You made it up because you're a bitch. Like, that's the kind of thing he would say. Fun Fun fact, and we'll get to it in the scene where it comes up. At one point, she does call him on it because he tries to gaslight her on something that she lived through and that we all saw as the audience. And he essentially convinces her that she's wrong. And this is kind of another one of those scenes, which is crazy. Yeah. So we cut back into their apartment and they're essentially having she's trying to have a conversation about the trip to Sweden. And I would say that she's approaching the conversation with, I don't care if you go. You just should have told me about it. Please tell me about it. What's happening? He literally says, I just decided today. So I was going to tell you today. Like, Mm -hmm. it just happened that they brought it up on the day I was going to tell you and the day I decided. And she's like, you already have tickets. Yeah, it's two weeks away. You had to get a visa. (laughs) Like, that's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move through this scene, I want to say that this is the first shot or scene where I notice the long shots that they do. Yeah. And the way they achieve that in this scene is so cool to me because he is sitting down in a chair 
the camera is, and everything is shot super low in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the camera's looking at her, but you can capture him in the chair off the reflection in the mirror. Yep. Which I like a lot. And they use a lot of that reflective surfaces. There are a ton of mirrors in this movie. There's another one where it's like the, a TV and the characters that are in the reflection are actually darker because they're mm-hmm. in the TV. It's very, very well done. This is the first time I noticed it though. It's really, really great cinematography. Yeah. Mirrors are used to amazing effect in this movie. Yeah. In this scene in the director's cut, it's extended and he tells her that he was planning on inviting her as a romantic getaway, but now she ruined the surprise. <laughs> so he turns it on her. Oh like, my God. How really? dare you ruin this nice. I was just trying to do something nice for you and you ruined it. We already, I think, suspect that that's not true. But in the next scene, we're going to find out that that's absolutely not true. No, absolutely not. We cut to the next day where Mark, Pele and Josh are talking Mark is just now, I think, finding out that they're not going to go to Stockholm, that they're just going straight to Hollingsland. Because <laughs> Mark, like, 100% is like, hey, are there any sex clubs we can go to in Stockholm on our way up? Uh, I think he says meatball sex clubs, which is such a strange way to describe it. Swedish meatball. Is it strange, Paige? They are in the home of Ikea, and Ikea is known for one thing, and that is sex parties. Right, but they've <laughs> got to have meatballs somewhere. Mm-hmm. Insert attachment A into receptacle B. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you can read between the lines like I can, you know what's up. So Christian comes into the room. Oh, shit. Can I say something? I'm so sorry. The scene before this, when they're having the conversation, just Christian and Danny. And she ends up apologizing to him for something yes! that's not her fault. Yes. That made me so sad. I was like, she needs to break up with him immediately. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, she can do much better than this. And I realize that she is so heavily in her grief right now for yeah. obvious reasons. That she probably is just clinging to every bit of normalcy she can find. And I that makes sense. I'm not blaming her. But he is such a bad dude. He is like forcing her to apologize. And that grossed me out. This is something that I actually really like that this movie does. Because something that we talk about on cult podcast a lot is that cults are just abusive and toxic relationships on a macro scale. Yeah. And what this movie really, really does is contrasts what is clearly a toxic and manipulative relationship against a cult, which is also toxic and manipulative. It really kind of compares the two. And I think for me, I love watching it and and seeing somebody finally represent, yes, this is how people end up in cults, the same way you end up in a toxic relationship. It can happen to anybody. And it happens most often when people are hurting, when they're grieving, when they've lost something, when they're looking for something yeah when people are vulnerable when people are vulnerable christian takes advantage of her and so does the cult and i feel like in that way it's a very realistic depiction of how those power dynamics work i think that perfectly summarizes why i don't like the movie though because danny the main character has literally no growth in it she starts out as a very codependent person and the movie ends with her leaving a toxic relationship and then immediately entering into another one as a very codependent person. I would say an even worse one. She sure. has a, yeah. a, a break with reality, I would say. Yeah, at the end absolutely. Of I would say so. That's why it's a horror movie. <laughs> the movie you want to see, Todd, is that other couple going to that cult. The one who r- try to run away and get murdered. Well, yeah, no, you're right. The I Brit- do. The British couple. Yeah. That's the traditional horror movie. It just takes place in the background of this movie. Yes. Danny's the creepy side character from a different horror movie. 
yes. as the main character with, with like if like the main character was like a normal couple who's trying to escape. Yes, and and I would say this is <laughs> that's absolutely right, Mike. <laughs> no, th- that's true. Th- this is a horror movie where we've shifted the perspective of who we're focusing on. Right. So we're focusing on the character that has no growth and literally enters a worse position than she started off in. Which you could argue all horror movies. No, I mean, a lot of horror movies are about overcoming this objective evil that's coming at you. I think you have to think of this movie in the context of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But she overcomes so much and escapes. I don't think she does. Have you not seen the end of the movie? She's in the back of that truck all bloody driving away. She She escapes. She's in the back of that truck forever altered. Oh, yeah, but she gets away. Danny is going to be in this toxic relationship until she's 72 and jumps off a cliff. Yeah, and and I think... that at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, she is going to be forever traumatized by the experiences that she has had. The only difference is she's not present with the people who did it. Yeah, I mean, but also people can overcome trauma and live healthy lives and be happy. They they can. Yeah, I don't want to minimize that, but like therapy exists. I think that the difference is they have kidnapped her. Like the cult is the villain in this movie. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm not and about that. I feel like Christian's a bit of a villain too, but I agree. He, he he is. I would say the cult manipulates an already bad situation, but I think that this is no different from any movie where essentially the villain wins. Like that that's just what happens in this movie. And oh, I don't think oh, that's yeah. uncharacteristic of any other horror movie. The only difference is we're seeing it from the victim's perspective. Yeah. All right. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> so Christian gets a text that Danny is coming up and he quickly, before she gets to the apartment, tells the other guys that he's invited her, but she's not coming. Dude, this exchange back and forth, I thought was uncomfortably hilarious on some level yeah. because Mark is like, wait, what? Is she yeah. coming? Is she not coming? He's like, no, I invited her and she accepted, but she's not right. going to come. And then Josh is like, so she's coming? <laughs> right. <laughs> you just said she's both been invited and accepted. So she's right. coming, right? Those friends are so enabling. My friends would never let me get away with this shit. No, I would not. My friends would be like. You're a douchebag. He said you weren't coming. They would gladly sell me down river just to have a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. I think the question I have at this point that I've not really settled on an answer after seeing this even multiple times is whether or not Pele basically uses this to his advantage or if he helped engineer it. That that was my question because, you know, the way he approaches her throughout the film is like, okay, he's manipulating her. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like this is the first he's hearing about Danny coming just because the way he acts in this scene, but he is super glad to hear that she's coming, right? Yes. And even when, like, right before she opens the door, Christian says, you guys knew about this and it was your idea to invite her. Right. (laughs) And they're like, uh, okay? Yeah. And that is immediately when if Mikey had done that, I'd be like, yeah, that's not how this is about to play out, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So Danny comes into the room and they are all very polite to her about this. This is another mirror shot. This is one of the ones where the camera is strategically hidden. It's very cool looking. It is a black mirror because it is the TV. It's not an actual mirror. Mm -hmm. So as she comes in, Mark pulls Christian into another room where I assume that Mark chewed Christian out. Like, we don't see it, but I'm assuming that that's what happens. I felt that vibe, too. I love that Mark is like, hey, Christian, let me have you look over this paragraph for me. And then he closes his laptop and starts to get up without his laptop and then, like, grabs his laptop and goes. 
right, right. I thought right. that that was really funny. So she is left alone with Pele and Josh, and we see that Pele is drawing a feast table that we'll actually see later in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Pele, more so than any of the other guys, actually makes very polite conversation with her it's not necessarily anything more than that but the other guys almost ignore her dude josh gets up and walks away from the coffee table yeah he goes to microwave his coffee yeah Yeah, you can kind of see him in the background but yeah yeah so she's talking with pele uh she reveals that they'll be arriving on her birthday uh we find out it's a nine-day festival with ceremonies and dressing up and he says it'll seem silly but it's a lot like theater and he tells her like we're all from a small community and shows her pictures from last year on his phone obviously excluding some of the pictures that would have probably dissuaded her from going yeah absolutely and he basically tells her i'm very very glad you're coming i think it's very good you're coming and then he says i never had the chance to tell you but i was very sorry to hear about your loss i can imagine I lost my parents, too. In a fire. In a fire. Yeah. And at the mention of her parents, Danny gets up and goes to the bathroom where she has a panic attack. But as she opens the door to the bathroom, we get an overhead shot, which is also very cool. It is very cool. This is my favorite shot. Yeah. Yeah. Where she walks from the apartment and when she gets into the bathroom, it's the airplane bathroom. Yeah. And very clearly so. I will say this. This is not the only time that when someone brings up family, she has a panic attack. I actually tracked it through the movie. Okay. Because every time people bring up family, she has a panic attack until a very specific point in the movie. Oh, cool. At which point there is a transition. Nice. So in the airplane bathroom, she takes a huge breath and tries to quietly, steadily, steady her breathing, covering her mouth to stay quiet. I will say that if you went through a trauma and even the mention of your trauma gets you into a panic attack, it would be a good time to seek help. Yeah. Because that means you have not processed that trauma and like you are probably not functioning at a good level. I think we got a little bit of a hint that she did because when she's talking to Pele in the previous scene, he's asking about school. She says that she didn't finish because she had been working through things and had taken basically the rest of that year off. But we don't really have any concrete info about right. what she did. And it, it could be a, it could be a long. Yeah, it's also going to take more than a few months to get over that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like that's one of the most horrible traumas I've ever seen or heard of. I yeah, I would also argue we know that she is seeking some sort of help because she does have a prescription to Ativan. But she had that before. Wait, she had an Ativan prescription before the events of the, the yep. first Yeah, you see her in the scene where she's talking to her friend on the phone, the friend we never meet. Right. You see her take an Ativan. So that's before she finds is out about the takes? murder. Yes. That's what she takes. It's very, very clearly marked on the bottle. And they show you the bottle. It's also where we learn that her name is Danny Ardor. Ardor being one of the Latin words for fire. Ooh, how about about that you've unlocked a fun fact Ooh! so i i would argue we don't see it in the movie i do think she's seeking some sort of help but obviously not right now on a plane but if it's just medication that will not help you with that kind of stuff oh no i think she's probably in therapy like yes, this is yeah you never get over something like this you just learn how to cope with it and, and live with it right? right right so like i completely completely understand that it it's a long process, right? Right. Especially when your boyfriend's a douchebag. 
<laughs> I headcanon thinks she's seeing a therapist and we just never meet that person. Yeah. So she goes to the bathroom to have a panic attack. She's kind of quieting her breathing. This is the first of many times that we see her essentially trying to hide her panic attacks to not disturb other people, yeah. which is something right. that becomes a trait of hers throughout the film. Well, and a lot of people with, anxiety, with panic attacks do that. Yeah, I think that's going to factor in to the scene where I believe she fully makes her transition into the cult. But we'll go over that more when we get to I'm it. I'm assuming that's the grieving scene where she's yeah. like, yeah, 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 absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. I think breathing in this movie is huge, yeah. symbolically. Yeah. I think this is just one more kind of hint at that. Uh, she comes back out and sits next to Christian on the plane. The plane hits turbulence and we cut to them driving through Sweden to the village. Mark is scoping out babes through the windows. I do love that Mark is like, why are they all so hot here? And I think it's Josh <laughs> that says, I don't know, because the Vikings took all the pretty ones and dragged them back here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, actually, that sort of checks out, I historically, guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know historically if that's true, but it sounds like it's true. Yep. As they drive through the countryside, the shot inverts as we watch their car wind through the forest road upside down. Now, this is another scene that's extended in the director's cut. Oh, my God. How could this scene be longer? It's cut differently. So it's okay. not necessarily longer so much as it's cut in a different way. But there are many more scenes of dialogue between the other people in the car as Danny oh. fades in and out of consciousness. Okay. So that that is kind of how they give that element of disorientation of like, how long have we been driving? What time is it? Where are we? And when they decided to cut that, they then inverted the shot of the car to basically disorient everyone a little bit faster, if that makes sense. You say a little bit faster, but that shot is like fully 90 seconds of nothing. Of them driving, yeah. It's literally nothing. But we do get actually a lot of information on that drive if you pay attention. Do you mean through dialogue? No, visually. Oh, okay. Yeah, we pass beneath a banner for Housingsland where they are driving. If you actually read the banner... It says things like stop mass migration into Hosling's land. Basically, they don't want people to gentrify where they're doing these ceremonies. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on that banner that's really interesting. We also find out how many kilometers they are from Stockholm and from other things before they hit the dirt road that basically takes them into an open field. Yeah. They park the car and they climb out and meet up with other younger people from Pele's village, including Ingmar, who Pele introduces as his brother, but we find out that they are best friends since they were babies and also orphans. Yeah, I call a bunch of my really close friends brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Hulk, I'm like Hulk Hogan in that sense. Like everyone's my brother. <laughs> well, especially if you grew up on a commune. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. I did not. I grew up in a different kind of a cult. Actually, I grew up in a cult where we called people brother and sister. So there you go. Yeah. yeah, it's a very it's a very cult thing. What we actually find out later on is that all children are raised communally in this group, which is cult 101. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they are all brothers and sisters. Yeah. We also meet Ingmar's people that he brought to murder. Right. Simon and Connie. And we find out that the reason he chose to kill those people was because he had the hots for the girl, asked her on a date that she didn't realize was a date. It was sort of like right. my Blair Witch Project date. And then, you know, she immediately started dating somebody else and he got jealous and he was like, well, why don't you come to this festival so I can fucking murder you as payback? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's interesting once you've seen the movie once to realize it truly was payback. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's hardcore. That's a long game, too. 
Oh, that yeah. a long game. Because he had to stay close friends with her and, and then befriend the new guy yeah. and then try to get them back to Sweden. Here, here's the funny thing. I don't think the new guy likes him because at one point he jokes. He's like, yeah, Inkmar is going to officiate our wedding. And they say, really? And he goes, nah. no. <laughs> <laughs> they offer them shrooms. Yeah. And everyone's about to take shrooms. And Danny basically is going to opt out because she's like, I kind of need to get my bearings. And Christian kind of, quote unquote, agrees to wait with her, but does it begrudgingly in such a way that I think it puts some pressure on her to kind of go along with it. Definitely puts pressure yeah. on her. Yeah. Well, and also, even if Mark doesn't do the douchebag thing of like, well, we have to all do it together, guys. If Mark didn't do that, I fully do believe that Christian would not have taken mushrooms then, but he is also fully going to store that away to throw in her face later on and be like, no, you got to do this because I didn't do shrooms that one time a year ago or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the thing about the type of psychedelics they are taking, these are long-term psychedelics. So these are going to take hours. So if they all start and then she starts later, that is going to put their trips off. So that is a reason why most people would do them all at once. So you're siding with Mark is what you're saying. Mark was no, right here. I'm saying everyone <laughs> could have waited 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, she just got to a new, very strange place. And she wants to sort of get settled in that new place before she takes a hallucinogenic drug. Yes. I yes. feel like that's reasonable. I think it's reasonable, too. Yeah. And I don't think there was any pressure on them from the people offering them psychedelics to do them right that second. No. Those people were like, we're not even at the cult yet. Chill out. Yeah. I think it's largely Mark and then Christian's response that push her towards doing it when she does. I, I do like that this cult takes place in that background of Windows XP. <laughs> uh, A.K.A. Hungary. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. So what drives That's me crazy really is they came here in a car. Yes. A lot of people came here in cars. We see a few cars in this scene. Yeah. And then there are no cars anymore in the whole movie no, except for are. one two seater truck. Todd, they make a movie for you. It's called Cars. And there's cars uh, <laughs> in the whole movie. I would say she sees their car in her dream. Right. But I think what happens is because they pull up into this clearing and this is where there are some of the other cars. But then to get to the next place, they end up hiking. And I don't know that there's a way to drive there. See, that would be my first red flag. Because yeah. no one goes to a location that can only be hiked to and doesn't talk about like, oh, this is a cold or I'm going to be murdered. Right. Because I'll go on a regular hike and I'm thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. Also, if my car is a hike away and people in our party are missing while I'm hanging out with this cult, I am walking to that car and driving the fuck out of there. Todd, you and I would have been out of this cult. As soon as those people jumped off that cliff, we'll, we, when we get there, I'd have been like, Todd, act cool. Like, clap or something, but we're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> clap or yeah. something. Mikey, the minute the first person splatted, I would have turned on my heels and run, and you would be yelling after me to be like, Todd, come wait for me. They're going to kill me. And I'm like, yeah, you should have been doing cardio for years, bitch. Yeah. Mikey, you're going to die in No, this but cult. Todd, you would have died because that's what that other couple does. We'll get there. I'm going to say that I would have lived because I hate hiking. <laughs> <laughs> Page 
Denny's would have been like, oh, there's hiking. I'm going to stay with the car. Just call me when you guys want me to come pick you up. I'll be in Stockholm looking at fancy furniture. Thank I'm you. I'm looking for meatball sex clubs. Just call yeah. me. I'll be around. Just call me. So they all take shrooms. <laughs> yeah. And we cut to them seated under a tree where we find out that it is 9 p.m. because they are so far north that it is still sunny at 9 p.m. Have you guys ever been somewhere that's like that? Yeah. I have too. It's it's weird, man. I mean, I was not on shrooms and I was Mark in this situation. I was like, I don't like it. It's not. It's day outside. It's 9 p.m. This is not right. I don't like it. I'm going to lay down. Everyone lay down. Well, and, and here's one of the one of the things that I think the reason that I don't love Josh in this movie is Josh has a level of understanding of what they're walking into uh-huh. that no one else has. And he doesn't really help anyone else with it. No, you're right. Because he knows when they're going to throw themselves off the cliff. Yeah. But not only that, he's the only one that brought sleeping pills because he knew the sun would be out. So, like, he didn't even tell them ahead of time, like, hey, you might want to bring sleeping pills because of this. So, they are all tripping, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Danny looks at her hand, and it appears that grass is growing out of it. She looks at the trees, and it appears that they're breathing. She takes deep breaths. The reason people have said this is one of the most realistic depictions of psychedelic use on film is because it's not wacky. I think a lot of times when people are like, oh, LSD or shrooms, I see a dragon. I see this big thing. But this is much more subtle. This is just slight alterations, a kind of ripple to the things that she sees, right. a kind of feeling that everything is breathing with her, a feeling that the things around her are alive and have movement. In that subtlety, I think they get very, very close to the real experience, which I think is actually very well done. But this is where Mark starts saying, you guys are my actual family. I love you guys like family. You're, you're like my family. And then because... She's been through all that family trauma. She starts to have a panic attack and she starts to get up and walk away. Right. And she walks off through the fields. She's kind of trying to psych herself out. Yeah. She thinks a group of people are laughing at her and Ingmar stops her and is like, they weren't laughing at you. They've been laughing for hours. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you, Dan. It has nothing to do with you. Uh, He asks her, do you want to come meet my friends? She says, no, thank you. And she walks to an outhouse. And as she does, the landscape around her ripples. Yeah. As she goes into the outhouse, she looks into the mirror and for a second sees her dead sister's reflection behind her over her shoulder. I'm not going to lie, man. In the theater, that scared the shit out of me. I fucking screamed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she's got the mask on. Everything, Oof. the mask and everything. Yeah, and that's not that's not the only place that we see her. She's actually uh, you've unlocked a fun fact. Ooh. Pictures of her sister are actually visible in many of the other scenes where she is under the influence in the trees. Oh, cool. All right. If you yeah, if you rewatch, you can actually spot them. I feel like this movie in a lot of ways is like a modern The Shining. I love The Shining, by the way. I, I would assume you do. But I mean, like the feeling it gives you. Yeah. The details, the cinematography the awful spouse yeah (laughs) i mean checks out so she runs out of the outhouse into the forest we cut to a flashback of her sitting and watching tv with her parents and her sister and her sister turns to look at her and this flashback is eerie as hell i don't like it yeah she then wakes up in the middle of a clearing christian is standing over her and she says how long was i asleep and he says we found you here like six hours ago Yeah. And she says, did it get dark at all? And he said, for a couple hours. And she says, is it tomorrow? And he's like, kind of. 
So everyone is already <laughs> packed. She gets up, she grabs her bags, and they hike through the woods off the dirt path. And this is where we get a kind of small aside from Mark about Sweden's tick problem. Yes. Yeah. Mark just seems like a like a bugaphobe, if that makes sense. Like he doesn't like bugs. Yeah. He doesn't want them on him or near him. And he's like, there's gotta be ticks all over here. I'm sure it's a huge problem. And Pele's like, it actually is a really big yeah. problem. <laughs> so fun you've unlocked a fun fact. Nice. Uh, this is included in the movie because Ari Aster is afraid of ticks, specifically. Oh. I often felt like when I was watching Mark that that is Ari Aster just personified. <laughs> That makes Potentially, sense. Potentially, yeah. um, he he does say that his he kind of modeled Christian and Danny after a relationship he was in, but I believe he was Danny in that situation. So I'm not really 100% sure, but I think he kind of based portions of all of them on himself. I happen to know that he is a huge fan of Meatball Swedish sex clubs, though. <laughs> Who isn't? It's it's meatballs. I mean, I, yeah. So they emerge into a bright, idyllic clearing where we meet the Harga. The Harga are dressed in all white with crowns of wildflowers, and they play music to welcome the visitors, and they offer them strawberry skewers. See, this is when I would have been out, because I spent a lot of time in Mississippi, and when I see a group <laughs> of only white people gathered in all white, I get out of there as fast as possible. That is, that is a fair. good going to the South pro tip right there. Pro tip. My favorite yeah. is what Mark says where he says, oh, so we're stopping in Waco before we go to Pele's village? Yes. Yeah. Right. And so like, he knows. You have to know. Yeah. He's like in Cabin in the Woods. He's the stoner where right. had he been left alive, he would have been the one at the end being like, I fucking told you. It was yeah. fucking weird. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of want to see that movie of Midsommar where he's killing cult members trying to escape. Where Mark is the final girl. That's yeah, a he's like, very was... different movie, but it's a movie that I also want to see. It's infinitely more watchable than this movie. Yeah, that's that's definitely, that's a repeat watcher. You can eat a lot of popcorn to that movie. So Pella introduces him to his family members. He says, welcome to everyone except Danny. Welcome home to Danny and this is where they meet he's one of the elders of the commune and he says that his frock is tied to the hermaphroditic nature of nature we don't really get much other information about it after that um, but he does tell them that tomorrow the official ceremonies begin yeah music calls their attention to a congregation in the middle of the field near the maypole now maypoles are a traditional fixture of pagan religions not just in this part of the world but also in England Germany and pretty much most of Western Europe we do get a little bit of information about it when Josh says that those are the places he's going next for his thesis because they also have midsummer celebrations, but this is their version. And the high priestess, Lady Siv, welcomes them to their midsummer festivities. And she says, It has been 90 years since our last great feast, and it will be 90 years till our next. Let's raise our glasses and let our nine day feast commence. We cut to a person with albinism painting. We cut back. To Lady Siv, who hands torches to two of the people on stage with her. They are both elderly. She hands in the torches saying, this high my fire, no higher, no hotter. Once both hold the torches high, she says, spirits back to the dead. And we cut to one of the outhouses where a redheaded Horga girl breathes in and out before exiting into the main house and out into the rest of the ceremonies. This is Maya. Yeah, she's like psyching herself up for what she's about to do. 
Right, exactly. We cut to the villagers dancing through the fields. Pele and his group kind of sit in the grass looking on. Pele encourages them to join and tells them that they're playing Skin the Fool. This is an allusion to what's going to happen to Mark later. Well, they skin more than just Mark later. Don't they skin all of them, more or less? No. They do very specific things to other ones of them. There's a specific word for what they do to one of them later. Sewing him inside a bear? Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, let's move on. I think you mean uh, high bear nading. <laughs> oh, wow. It's really hard to make jokes to this movie. <laughs> as the villagers are dancing through the field, Maya kicks Christian as she runs down the line. He gets up to join the dances with her, and Pele says... You're an American, just jam yourself in there. Yeah. Which is an allusion to what's going to happen later on in the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we find out later that she's that she's 16, by the way. I'm sorry. What? She's 16? Did we find that out? 16, yeah. I'm not a fan of that knowledge. Uh, and it factors into one of the director's scenes that gets cut. Okay, that makes more sense and also makes him worse, and that's terrible and yuck. What's the, wait, wait, what's the age of consent in Sweden? 15. Oh, is oh. That's yeah. very Yeah, young. no, it's here's the thing. It is legal. <laughs> legal doesn't make it not creepy. 100%. With Christian joining the dance and and dancing away, Pele hands Danny a drawing of her as the May Queen for her birthday. Yeah. Or rather her with a flower crown, I should say. And he says to her, "Keep this just between us for your birthday." And she says, "Well, Christian forgot anyway, and it's my fault. I forgot to remind him." That made me so sad. Yes, Todd. I was like, I, I'll just say this. If Natalie had to remind me of when her birthday was, Todd would be single ladies if I had forgotten that. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like she, even, here's the thing. Even if she had forgotten, it's not her fault. No. Even if he, he had forgotten, it's never her fault. Exactly. For not yeah, reminding exactly. him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but we also learn, I, maybe not right now, but in a second, that he forgot their four-year anniversary that was two weeks before her birthday. It's literally, it's in this next scene. So oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. We cut to the group kind of walking through the commune, and we find out that they support the commune with leather, fabric, homeopathics, and that children are brought up learning runes, and that their alphabet is from the Elder Plutarch, which is very, very old. And this is where Connie and Simon are talking to Christian and Danny, where they're asking how long they've been together because we find out that Connie and Simon are engaged. And yeah. Christian at this point gets it wrong because it's four years and two weeks. And at this point, he still has not registered that it's her birthday. Right. Which is bonkers. Yes. And beside all the terrible relationship drama when they're describing the elder plutarch ruins and stuff i would have been whispering to todd hey we need to get the fuck out of here yeah i would have been like i don't care about plutarch i didn't read any of his stuff let's get out of here <laughs> no this is older than that this is the wrong plutarch <laughs> yeah, this is, i read da vinci code and that wasn't even in it so i need yeah, to okay. leave this is where we find out that Ingmar was dating Connie, quote unquote, and she ends up dating Simon and now they're engaged. And this is where we get the joke that Ingmar is going to officiate. No, he's not. Yeah. And this is where they come upon the sacred temple, which is basically a yellow A-frame. And they're told that no one is allowed in and they pass a bear in a cage. I love this part. And Mark says, so we're just going to ignore the bear then? And Pella just says, it's a bear. No other explanation. Right. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> normal. Again, Mikey, I'd be like, hey, we should leave. Yeah. And honestly, even if it's like a normal sort of a thing, a bear can break out of a wood cage. Mm -hmm. Actually, technically, I would be like, 
Todd, take my picture with this bear. And then let's go. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, But this is where they check out the tapestry. And again, this is filmed right to left. So it is meant to be kind of disorienting. Well, this is where we learn that love spell, right? Yes. We read through the love spell that requires someone to put their pubic hair into somebody's food and their menstrual blood into somebody's drink, which would then allegedly... Oh, my God. This explains... My weird feelings were Taco Bell lately. <laughs> what Taco Bell are you going to? And is that a euphemism for oh, something? Paige, it's not about the restaurant. It's just Mikey talking about how much he loves to run for that border, ladies. Oh, oh no. no. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, that's a lady with a job. Good for her. <laughs> Honestly, she's got a career and can get you free food. That is a win-win, my friend. So uh, they all (laughs) head back to their sleeping quarters. Everyone sleeps together in the same house. And there are paintings over the walls and the ceilings along with runes. This house was built specifically for the film and painted by a specific artist. Many of the paintings in it give away plot points of the film. Oh, there's a lot of that in the movie where like a lot of the imagery gives away what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Once my group brought me to this house... I've been like, yeah, there's no way I'm staying here for nine days. Especially if I'm on the second floor, because I like to pace and stuff and walk around. And sometimes I don't pay attention fully to where I'm going. And there's no rail on that second floor. Yeah. I would die. Yeah. This is also where we find out who lives there and why. So we find out that the Harga are considered children until they're 18. And that's the spring of their life. Then they go on their pilgrimage from 18 to 36. That's summer. And 36 to 54, they're laborers. That's their working age, which is fall. And then 54 to 72, you're a mentor. And Danny asks what happens at 72. And he mimes decapitation, which she takes as a joke. But we find out is... Not a joke. That ain't a joke, baby. <laughs> That's no joke. Um, This is actually really interesting because we do establish later that Maya is 16 and that she would be going on her pilgrimage later. But this is why all of the children are raised communally, because you basically might be having children before you go on your pilgrimage. You don't have to raise them. The commune does. Oh, we see that. There's a time when Danny's playing with a baby and the, yeah. the lady who you assumed was the mom was like, oh, no, the mom's on a pilgrimage more or less. Right. And she even says it helps detach them from the mother. Right. Which is why cults do it. Yeah, That's yeah, no, I understand. So, it's just so many cults do this and they do it for that exact reason. Yeah. Now, as she's walking through this house, Danny finds a wall where they have photographs of all of the May Queens. Uh, this next scene is where Pele kind of pulls Christian aside. This is a little bit extended in the director's cut, only by just a second or two. Pele is the one who reminds Christian about Danny's birthday, and he's the one that gets the cake for Christian to give to her. Yes. Uh, And it's implied that he does it so that Danny doesn't feel bad. Yeah. There's a messenger from the group that comes in and says in Swedish, the children are watching Austin Powers if you want to join. Mark takes it as flirting and kind of follows her out of the house. Yeah, it's like she, I think in his mind, she, in his words, I fucked him on her way out of the room or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, you guys saw that, right? She was like super into me. And then he like follows after her. Right. He is the perfect douche. I He does a great job with this role. He does, yeah, he does. a great, great job. At this point, Christian pulls Danny outside and hands her a slice of cake. Um, now, here's a note. It is a slice of bunt cake 
Uh, bunt cakes are traditionally Scandinavian. In fact, most oh. bunt pans in the United States are made by Nordic Ware in Minneapolis. I did not know that. I know that because I've been to the factory. That's what, a delicious what? fun fact. It is a delicious fun fact. I am obsessed with bunt pans. Thank you. But he can't get the candle lit. She was like, please lit. stop. It's a metaphor because the fire in the relationship has gone out. Oh, Ooh. Mikey, I don't know if that's a joke, but you've actually hit on the truth with that. That is actually true. A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was both. <laughs> Mikey's got layers, ladies. Yeah. I mean, not like Todd, but like, you know. <laughs> I am I am wearing too. I have <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we cut to everyone going to bed in the common house and we see a girl hiding a rune under a baby's pillow. So this is our first introduction to hiding runes under beds as a means of casting spells. Yeah. They ask Pele what they're doing tomorrow, and he says that tomorrow is the Atastupa. And Josh says, actual Atastupa? Pele says, it's pretty actual. (laughs) And then Josh doesn't tell anyone else what it is. And this, for me, is why Josh is not a great dude. No, and he laughs. He laughs. And knowing what happened to Danny and her family and letting her go into this blind is aggressively hurtful. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. This is the one section where I do have a problem with them not leaving. Yeah. This is a point at which, this is the point where Josh knows what it is. He knows what's about to happen. He should probably warn people. Now, I do think because he's an anthropology student, he may be viewing this through the lens of this is their cultural practice. It's not my business to intrude, but he should absolutely have warned everyone else and it's not like Pella is keeping a secret from them he told them it was going to happen yeah they just didn't know what that word means josh did and didn't fill them in yeah that's fair i will say atastupa is considered to be mythical it is not something that people believe has actually happened after a lot of historical study um it's mentioned in a few different historical texts but the they believe that they're pretty biased and that it was a case of somebody trying to depict another group of people as barbarians and in comparison to themselves. Right. But there's no actual evidence of it happening. So Danny wakes up to the sound of a baby crying and she looks at a mural on the wall. It depicts a person stabbing themselves and bleeding back onto the land, much like what the Atastupa will do the next morning. Now, the next morning, we see the Harga participating in communal mourning in the clearing, but our group doesn't necessarily know that that's what this is. Uh, We cut to the feast table, which is arranged in the shape of a rune. Uh, The girls walk backward, picking wildflowers, and Mark says, someone should tell them they're walking stupid. It's (laughs) such a Mark thing to say. It's perfect. Everyone stands And they ask Pele, like, when do we sit down? And he says, when it's right to sit. Yeah. A young boy rings a bell and the two elderly people from the stage the day before approach the table from the sacred temple. They're dressed in blue with runes on their robes. They stand at the head of the table and Josh turns to Pele and says, are those the two? So he already knows. Yeah. He knows. Hasn't warned everybody. Oh, I didn't catch that. As they sit, everyone else sits. The two start to eat and everyone follows suit. Mark stares at the girl from earlier and she seems to be returning his gaze. Right next to her, we see Maya carving a rune. And the two at the head of the table rise and recite incantations followed with sharp breaths. They finally inhale and exhale together. Lady Siv rises, the high priestess, and everyone follows suit. 
They toast to the two at the head of the table. The two sit in chairs and the chairs are carried away from the table. Everyone follows. And Mark breaks from the group and decides to take a nap. So he completely skips the Atastupa. Misses it entirely. Having seen it, I wish I had slept through it. Yeah, for sure. The villagers gather at the foot of the cliff uh, where Danny Christian... Josh and Pele stand off to one side. We get a shot with one of the villagers looking over their shoulder directly at the camera, almost as if to ask the audience, are you ready? Yeah. Because the movie, here's the thing. If you haven't figured out by now what's going to happen, there's nothing the movie can do to help you at that point. By the time they get to the cliff, to me, it's painfully obvious what's going to happen. Right. Even if you know what's going to happen, they don't cut away at all. Right. You see all of it. And I don't think anyone is prepared for that. I don't think so either. The chairs that they were seated in at the feast are carried across the precipice of the cliff. Josh steps to Pele's side and asks about the book that Lady Siv is reading. He finds out that that's their local scripture. He asks, can I read it? And Pele says, you would not be able to. The villagers look up as the two elderly members of their village slice their hands open and wipe their blood across the runes carved into the stones at the top of the cliff. The older woman appears at the top of the cliff. She raises her hands to the sky before throwing herself off the cliff to her death. Because, you know, ladies first, chivalry exists in this cult. Oh, and she, like, nails it, man. She hits she her head right it. where she needed to, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anything men can do, women can do better, Mikey. We're just more accurate. Uh, I can kill myself better than you. Yep. Danny senses what's about to happen, but she cannot look away. The score goes completely silent as the jump happens. Yeah. And we hear Danny's gasp as the woman's body hits the rock at the bottom of the cliff, killing her immediately. Danny is stunned. She looks over just in time to see the man jump after He lands on the ground, unfortunately alive, but with a very badly broken leg and I believe probably back as well. I do love that in this scene, we find out what Gallagher's been up to in his retirement. A hundred percent. Oh, Lord. (laughs) That was the reaction I wanted from Mikey. Yeah. The, the the villagers on the first row are in the splatters. The, vi- oh. the villagers scream in anguish as they use a giant hammer to cave in his skull and Ugh. finish the job. Again, the score goes completely silent as the man's skull is caved in. And I personally think, and this is as someone who really likes this movie, that the makeup in these scenes and these close-up shots of this gore really does a disservice to this scene because it is clearly fake. You cannot do this as realistic as you would need to for it to truly look real. And I don't think it adds anything other than a, ugh. Like, for me, the horror is that they killed themselves at all. Oh, I mean, I think it added to it. I thought these scenes were scary. Agree, Mikey. I, I And then seeing the faces, the caved-in yeah. faces was rough. Yeah. I think the makeup looks pretty good. I mean, I could tell it's makeup, but I'm still yeah. just like, this is horrible. When they hit the head over the, after even after he's dead, when they're passing the hammer back and forth. Which yeah. I think are his family members, I believe, and each one of them has to do it. See, and that's what I, this is where I turn on the movie, because I would just be like, no person would stay in this. Now, Todd, if you and I were visiting a commune, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these people killed themselves and then hit their heads with hammers afterwards. I would be like, look, don't freak out, Todd. I know you want to freak out, but don't freak out. But, like, we need to pretend we're cool with this, but we're not cool with this. We got to get the fuck out of here. Like, as soon as we can, we need to run. 
Mikey, that would be difficult for you to like play off as I have already passed out and I'm laying on my back on the <laughs> ground and you're leaning over me trying to wake me up saying this. Like they would yeah. know something was up. I'd be like, that guy, that guy's really freaking out. You need to get him. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. Oh, I hate you so much. And then I'd be, I'd be jumping off that railing on that second floor and be like, we got to get out of here. That's a real Christian move, Mikey. Now, Simon and Connie are vocally and visibly upset and they're trying to storm out. And Danny is just kind of stunned. She is yeah. immobile. She can't even have a panic attack at this point. It's too much. Lady Siv approaches and tries to explain to them where she says they've reached the end of their life cycle and they give their lives with joy to be recycled for the community. And we name the new babies after them so that they will basically take on the names of the people that passed on. And they willingly give their life as a gesture to help the group. And then Ingmar says, I'm sorry I didn't warn you better. And everyone walks back to the houses. Basically, that's the ceremony for the day. Everyone's leaving. Yeah. Danny walks off and Christian says, are you feeling okay? And she says, I need to not be here right now. <laughs> so she walks off on her own towards the ceremonial yellow A-frame house where she stifles a scream and gasps. Christian confronts Josh back in the house where he says are you okay and josh says yeah i'm fine because he's taking notes on everything he just saw for and he thesis. also was mentally prepared for what he just saw absolutely yes christian then says hey i think i'm gonna do my thesis here and josh is understandably upset and this is where we find out that Josh is also going to Germany and England, both other countries with a history of pagan beliefs that include Midsummer. And Josh confronts Pele about his thesis because Christian beat him to Pele. So he's basically like, Pele, I need to talk to the elders to do my thesis. And he's like, well, Christian already asked. In the director's cut, there's an extra montage showing them having multiple interviews between members of the Harga. And it contrasts Christian's interviews with Josh's interviews, where Josh is ultimately the one that will intrude on their traditions and oversteps. But Christian's interviews in this montage that doesn't make it into the final film are borderline offensive and reveal how little he truly knows about anthropology in general, let alone these people, contrasting with Josh, who seems to know a lot about societies like this. Yeah, I think Josh has a reverence for all of this stuff. He may mm -hmm. overstep in a bit and he gets murdered for it, but right. I do feel like Christian is just the dumb idiot who is like going along for the ride and right. is piggybacking on Josh because he knows he can't do one on his own he can't do his own thesis right. so he has to collaborate and leech off of josh it's a real dick move it is a real dick move we cut back to the house as danny returns after having her panic attack in the field and pele tries to comfort her this is in stark contrast to every time she displays intense emotions in front of christian and he kind of sends her off to experience them on her own yeah pele actively engages and experiences with her and he emphasizes, I know what you're going through. I lost my parents too. They burned in a fire and I became an orphan. But the difference is this place was my family. I have always felt held by a family. You deserve this too. Do you feel held by Christian? Does he feel like home to you? Yeah. 
And this is exactly how people end up in cults, because cults love to come alongside people who are hurting and say, we can meet your tangible in-person needs. Jim Jones used to, like, pay people's electric bills because that's something they needed in the moment. Oh, and he would feed them. I mean, he did some incredibly charitable stuff, and then it allowed him to do some incredibly horrible stuff later on. Yeah, it creates a power dynamic where people look back on their life before the cult and see it as painful and horrible, and it overrides the painful, horrible experience they have in the present. They're more afraid of what life looks like outside because they know these people have helped their immediate needs in this group. And there is a freedom outside and escaping those groups and the people who do escape it's wonderful that they do, but it is completely understandable for how people get involved and stay in these groups when these groups are meeting needs that are not met in their day-to-day life, and they see it as more beneficial than harmful. I was just hoping he was trying to sleep with her. <laughs> I mean, he is all, it's also that. It's also yeah. that. Little column A, little column B, but I think he needs to get her to join the cult so he can sleep with her. So he's like oh. taking her on this ride, right? Yeah. So it's, like a, it's like a Christian thing. <laughs> like she's got to convert before he can like you know lay it down oh i, I thought you it. meant christian the boyfriend no no i'm talking yeah. about christian because <laughs> she is going from one abusive boyfriend to another one yes yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. um yeah. that's a lot of people go from cult to cult you know because it's that same dynamic we do get kind of an aside later on where and originally it was part of that montage that's in the director's cut of christian interviewing people where he asks about incest because they're a small community and they say, well, we have to bring people from the outside. That's why Danny is there. She's the person from the outside that's going to stay and breed in with the bloodline so that there's not incestual relationships. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do have a selective breeding program that creates the oracle through incest. That's, yeah, deliberate incest for that. Yes. One. Yeah. It's very much like the Benny Jesuit Kwisatz Sutterach in Dune, if that makes sense. It does. Oh, okay. that's a... Very good reference. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm surprised you got it, Mikey. That makes me so happy. I like how no one was surprised that I got it. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. Page, this seems like some pretty dense nerd it. shit that you'd be into. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Listen, dude's great. Anyway, we see them cremate the bodies of the elders, and we cut yes. to Danny sitting alone in a field. Christian approaches her. Now, this is kind of a short scene in this version, but in the director's cut, this is a whole extra argument where he accuses her of trying to ruin the trip, of forcing her way onto it. He says that she's trying to make him feel bad for forgetting her birthday by picking flowers for him. And he's basically gaslighting her about things that we've already seen in the film. Holy crap. It really hammers home that he is a shitty dude. And I would just, again, reiterate that they just watched two people kill themselves and their family hit them with hammers. And like no one's talking about it. Like, yeah. I, I would, yeah. like my scene in that film would be like, hey, Danny, you know, earlier <laughs> where those people jumped off the cliff and got hit in the head with the hammers made me realize we got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. even if they're not a cult that's going to kill us, I don't want to do eight more days of this. Well, and also yes. they're still a cult and we have to get away. Like this is not a fun vacation for me anymore and like yeah it's pretty here in windows xp cult land but i really want 
to see other things in Sweden, like the home of Ikea and shit. And the rest of my life. Like, best case scenario, this is a terrible vacation. Worst case scenario, we're going to die. Yeah. Right. Uh, We cut back to the sleeping house where uh, Danny takes a sleeping pill and she awakes to the sound of everyone sneaking out without her. She follows them outside where they get in a car and drive off, leaving her there. She opens her mouth to scream and only car exhaust comes out. She relives the suicides from the day before, but now with her parents and her sister standing in for the bodies of the old people. Yeah. But it is all a dream. We cut back to the house where we see Maya staring at Danny, now sleeping again, rubbing a rune. She places the rune under Christian's bed. Josh sees her because he's not really asleep. Right. We see everyone get up, but Danny sleeps in because of the sleeping pill. Now, within the director's cut, the next few sequences play out a little bit differently. At some point, one of the commune members invites Danny and really everybody to a special ceremony that at first seems to be a play involving a tree, uh, but then a young boy dressed as a tree volunteers for a ritual and basically says, what's brave is going home. He's held up by two commune members and has a rock placed on top of him as if they're going to drown him in the local river, leading to his certain death. But they let him go for quote unquote proving his bravery. Now, Danny is obviously freaked out because she thinks she's about to watch another suicide. And it's not entirely clear if the ritual is staged or real. But something to note about it is that the outfit that the young boy is wearing is the one that we see on Connie later in the film. And she has, from the look of her skin and her body, clearly been drowned. So she is the stand-in for that young boy. But this is a scene that we completely lose in this version of the film. Yeah, we don't see that at all in the theatrical cut. Uh, They remove the ashes of the elders from the bonfire and carry them to the ancestral tree. Pella is gardening. And this is where we get the background wooden deer of hilarity, is what I call it, where in the background of all these scenes, we're seeing all these smaller traditions that we know nothing about and we never hear about. And one of them is they've built like a wooden deer and they just chop it in half and just like, ah, and then they do the like jazz hands. They do jazz jazz hands. (laughs) Yeah. So Mark and Josh approach Pele in the garden. I, I love that Josh is like, hey, Pele, what does it mean when someone sticks a rune under someone's bed? Yes. And as Pele starts to talk about it, Mark's like, I'm going to go piss. I don't care about anything that's being talked about right now. And he just bones out. And Josh asks about the rune, clarifies that it was under Christian's bed. Right. Christian walks up and Pele says... I think my sister Maya is taking a liking to you and tells him that she was granted her permission from the group to have sex last year, which would have been at 15, meaning she is now 16 years old. Are those public hearings? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's those private meetings with Lady Siv because all couplings are arranged. Oh, I was about to say, I would assume it was public because the sex is public. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Like, so. like the rest of the cult takes a vote. Like, do you think like they're ready for sex? Let's vote. And like some poor kid, he's like 15. They're like, nah, not this. And he's like, <laughs> nah. son of a bitch. If Mark had grown up in the cult, he'd still be a virgin. Right. (laughs) Well, at this point, Mark goes over and pees on the tree in the clearing and people freak out because it's their ancestral tree. Also, completely the cult's fault, though, because no one told him what that tree was. That's true. It's not marked. Paige, it has been marked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
my frustration was he's no closer to that tree than he is to any number of outhouses in the clearing. But this is 100% Pele's fault. It is. He, he didn't warn them about it. Here's my other thing. When he says, I've got to piss, they're standing near the buildings. Like, they're, they're gardening, but they're close to the houses, which means he had to walk farther to get to that stupid tree than he would have to just go to the bathroom. Because Mark's an idiot. I'm not saying Mark isn't an idiot. I'm just saying he had no idea the significance of that tree. I don't think you can blame somebody when there's active bathrooms and somebody's like, oh, no, I'm going rogue and I'm going to flash my dick to the whole commune. You shouldn't have to explain to somebody not to expose themselves. I feel like that's a given. Well, you've never hung out with Todd. Apparently. (laughs) Wait, what? You would think with all the layers. (laughs) I would never expose myself in public. It would take too long. Yeah, Paige, we, yeah we, that's why we make him wear all those wears, for sure. When, when the second hoodie's on the ground, I know we're in trouble. <laughs> oh, man. We cut to the main sleeping house where Connie is briskly walking and gathering her bags. She runs into Danny and asks Danny if she's seen Simon. One of the elders follows Connie and says that Simon went ahead of her to the train station, which... Hell no. Oh, no. And that they're sending the truck back for you because there was only room for one in the truck. Danny overhears it and meets up with Christian as he's conducting one of those interviews. This is the one where we find out about incest. Um, Yeah. And we find out that jobs are assigned based on traits that people show as children. She tells Christian Simon left without Connie and Christian's not worried. He just doesn't really care. Yeah. Everyone is an idiot. Danny walks over to the cooking house and gets invited inside to participate. And again, this is another case of how cults get people because Josh and Christian are off doing their thing. Danny has nothing to do all day. So not only have they given her something to do, it's a sense of belonging. It's a purpose with people around her. Now she's not bored. It's as simple as involving somebody to start to break down their defenses. So she asks again if they've seen Simon and everyone again says he was driven to the train station. So they invite her in and they're making meat pies. And this is where we see Maya making a very specific meat pie. Taco Bell. (laughs) Mikey, no. We cut to their sacred ritual house where Josh is learning about their sacred book. And it is literally like finger painted. It's not necessarily written in words. The elder tells him that it's a work that's constantly in progress and there are hundreds of them. And that Reuben, the person with albinism that we've seen earlier in the film, is the person writing them. He's got more than albinism. Yeah, we they don't clarify exactly what they have. They refer to him as disabled, but we don't yeah. get a clarifying. We do know that he's has albinism, but that's about it. Yeah, he looks like he's got elephantitis. A little bit. His, his face is deformed on some level. Yeah, uh, but he draws or finger paints in the books and they interpret and they say that he is unclouded by normal cognition and therefore open for the source of spirituality. And Josh asks what happens when he dies? You know, do you wait for another person to be born like this? And they say no, he is a deliberate product of inbreeding. So we all we basically got two contrasting answers where on one hand, we know that they bring people from the outside to prevent incest. But then on the other hand, they're specifically engaging in incest for their religion. I mean, it's just to create an oracle every generation or so. Right. They have a specific inbreeding program for that. But other than that, they don't practice it. 
Right. Uh, we cut to the cooking house where Danny takes a pie out of the oven and looks up. And I think there's actually a sound missing here that I think is in the director's cut. It's a scream because she reacts to it. And then Mark outside walking near the temple also reacts to it. I heard it. I watched the theatrical cut. I heard the scream. Okay. Yeah. You hear the scream like three times, which... I don't know if she only screams once and we just see everyone's perspective or she screams three times the exact same way, but we see it every time. And that's got to be Connie getting killed, right? Yes. It is. Now, at dinner, Danny says, has anyone seen Connie? And one of the villagers says, oh, she went to the train station. This is where we pull back and see all of the plates and glasses and we see that Christian's drink is clearly redder than all of the rest. Yeah, there's definitely some blood in that drink. Yeah. Danny says, why would he leave without her? And then turns to Christian and says, I could see you possibly doing that. In the theatrical cut, this seems like a bit of a jump because we're just like, where did that come from? Oh, I feel like it made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah I think she was fine in the theatrical cut to be snippy. He's, yeah. He's a dick. He's the worst. Mark looks across the table and is still getting glares because they're mad about their ancestral tree. Josh is clearly already unsettled. I think this is the point at which Josh is plotting potentially to leave and doesn't tell anyone else. Headcanon. Okay. Yeah, we don't see any indication of that. But if I was Josh, I would be planning on leaving. Yeah. Because he asks Christian about, you know, did you learn about the book? And Christian is like, oh, now you want to collaborate. And Josh is like, never mind. He's like, no, I don't want to collaborate at all. Yeah, well, and I think what this was about to be was Josh being like, there's something weird here and I want to find out more about it, but that's not okay. Yeah. Because he seems on edge. Yeah. They start to eat and Christian finds a pube in his pie. Oh, that reminds me, Paige. This episode brought to you by Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> he looks down the table at Maya and Danny follows his gaze. So I think Danny at this point, it's already suspicious suspecting there's something up with Maya. The girl Mark has been flirting with asks him to come follow her, and he does, never to be seen alive again. I love that he, like, gets up and he's like, I gotta go with her, she's gonna show me. And, like, doesn't say what, he's just like, I'm just gonna go with her. Yeah, he just says, come with me, I'll show you. Yeah. Yeah. She was really into foreskin. She loves playing skin the fool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and he is the fool. I mean, we see him with the Jester's hat on later. Yep, Uh, we cut to nighttime where Josh gives Danny a sleeping pill, but he lies down in his bed with his shoes on. He sneaks out into their ritual house in the middle of the night and he photographs pages of the book on his phone and he's doing so quickly. This is another case where we have a mirror. He passes Ruben, who is asleep in the corner. As he's photographing the photos, we see in the mirror ahead of him, someone enter the room. Yeah, He turns, he thinks it's Mark, but that's only because it's one of the Harga wearing Mark's skin. They bludgeon Josh to death with a large hammer and he bleeds out on the floor before he's dragged away. This scene was hard. Yeah, that linger on him as he's bleeding out through his skull and then that quick jerk where he Mm -hmm. gets dragged out of the shot. Oof, that was much. That was a lot. According to Ari Aster, it's the guy wearing Mark's skin, but then it's somebody else with the hammer. So he says that the person with the hammer is Pele, but we don't see that in the film at all. That's what I thought. Christian and Danny awake to find Mark and Josh missing. Christian isn't too concerned, but Danny is. And this is where we find out that the 
ritual book has been stolen and they kind of frame Josh for it. Christian, seeing an opportunity to get one up on Josh as far as their thesis, throws Josh under the bus and Pele says that he'll go looking for them. Yeah. Already knowing that they're dead. I mean, apparently from what Ari Aster says, he killed him. Yes. At this point, they divide Danny and Christian up. Danny is supposed to go with the women for the rest of the festivities. And Christian is supposed to see Lady Siv. There is, at this point, about an hour left in the film. But between now and the end of the movie, Danny and Christian utter less than 10 lines for the last hour of the film. Yeah, it's painful. So we cut to someone (laughs) blending flowers into a drink and passing it out to all the girls participating in the May Queen Dance Contest. They tell Danny it's tea for the competition. Pew, 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 pew. May Queen Dance Contest. Woo! Come on down, all you potential May Queens. Make sure you take your mushroom <laughs> juice and get on the dance floor while we pretty much just do dance in circles. Yeah, they they it's a traditional May Queen dance. That it's right. a Maypole dance. That's that's it, a- and honestly, I really feel like Danny was right to take those traditional Maypole dance classes back in the States before she got here because man, she was good. She knew every step. Most of them, I think they're just kind of dragging her along. <laughs> That is true, yeah. This is 100% the worst pole dancing competition I've ever seen. So Danny looks down and she sees grass growing out of her shoes, much like earlier in the film with the mushroom tea. So at this point, she knows that she has been drugged. Yeah, she's tripping balls, baby. And she starts to panic, but everyone else looks calm and everyone else drank the same thing. She looks on as one of the elder women tells the story of the May Queen dance and whoever dances the longest wins. We cut to the inside of Lady Siv's house and a picture of a flaming bear and some very suggestive flowers. Lady Siv invites Christian into her house. The walls are covered with illustrations. She sits across from him. He sits down and immediately starts talking about Josh. He thinks it's about Josh, and she says, actually, I wanted to talk to you about Maya. You've been approved to mate with her. You're an ideal astrological match, and she's fixed her hopes on you. And he says, I think I ate one of her pubic hairs. And she says, sounds probably right. Now... (sighs) This is one of the scenes that was drastically cut for the theatrical version and is very much longer in the director's cut. Yeah, I'll just say this before you tell us about the director's cut page. If I'm anywhere and I say, hey, I think I found a pube in my food and someone who lives there or works there says, yeah, it sounds about right. I'm never going back to that place again. Yeah, I'm not eating there again (laughs) for sure. It's definitely Taco Bell. (laughs) So in the director's cut version of this, Lady Siv deliberately and blatantly offers him a chance to mate with Maya for his thesis, specifically. Even though she is 16, and he knows that, and even though he's there with Danny, he brings up both of these issues and is assured that the Hargo will take care of Danny and distract her while he can do it. The scene still ends a little ambiguously, but it very, very strongly suggests that he has agreed to mate with Maya, making the final act of the movie a little less coercive, although I don't know he knew about the drugs, which is a consent issue in the film. But the director's cut strongly suggests that he agrees to mate with Maya without knowing what all that is going to entail. Well, I mean, that's shitty, but that's one of the theatrical cuts. Yeah, because what we do see in the theatrical cut is them drug him. So we get to because he walks over to the May Queen competition where Danny is dancing with the other girls and seems to get the hang of it. And she seems happy for the first time in the movie. Oh, yeah. She's real happy. And she's doing a great job just having 
fun. And there's one specific woman there who she's like connecting with and talking to right. during this dance. That's sort of like pulling her along and showing her the steps right. and all that stuff. Oh yeah. yeah, the one she spontaneously speaks Swedish with. <laughs> that's not Swedish, baby. That that's a little later. She speaks gibberish with, but yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. But Maya collapses and is no longer part of the celebration. Deliberately, she throws the competition. Basically, oh yeah. She looks at Christian as she walks away. They're now down to the last eight dancers, and Danny's one of them. Everyone seems happy for her except Christian, who actually stands out in these scenes. He's the only one not in all white. He's the only one they didn't give Harga garb to. Yeah. Essentially, they're singling him out as he's not one of us. Danny is. A woman approaches Christian and offers him a drink. She tells him. It will make him more open to influence. He says thanks, tries to offer it back to her. She gives it back and the woman walks away. She doesn't force him to drink it, but he looks at Maya and downs the glass. So she told him it was gonna influence him. I don't think yeah. he knew how much, but he ultimately is the one who chooses to drink that. But choosing to take a trip on mushrooms is different from choosing to consent to have sex with a 16 year old in a ritualistic ceremony. Right. Well, but he did that already. Well, no, in the theatrical cut, he did not. In the theatrical cut, it leaves it a little bit more ambiguous. I think the director's cut makes it a little more clear cut that he had a little bit more action in that than the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut is definitely more coercive and is definitely a problem. I honestly don't think it matters either way, but only because it's not like the cult is a good thing. No. The cult is just as bad, if not worse, than he is. So yeah. it doesn't really matter story-wise, but yeah. it's just very off-putting on every level. Meanwhile, Danny continues dancing. Now disoriented, she feels as if she can understand what she perceives as Swedish being spoken to her, but it, it is pretty much gibberish. Yeah, it's not Swedish. Also, she like body checks like four people. Like she's really in it to win it. Yeah, well, I think she's not really conscious of where her body is. Yeah, she's drugged, Mikey. No, nah, she was like <laughs> hardcore tripping people. <laughs> the girl that she's speaking with falls and Danny is the new May Queen. Now, we have seen people like Maya fall and a few other girls fall. It's possible that everyone threw the competition to make her the May Queen. It's yeah. possible that this was predetermined. Oh, I've 100% thought it was thrown. Yeah, oh, I did yeah. too. Which, again, it's the cult being manipulative. They place a giant crown of flowers on her head as everyone celebrates. They take a photo just like the ones we saw in the house. And Christian is left alone by the maypole as everyone pulls her in for hugs and celebrations. As she moves through the crowd, she sees both her parents and her sister yeah. within the cult. And again, she's drugged, but Pele runs up and kisses her full on the mouth. Uh, they put her on a small pedestal and carry her while singing to the feast, leaving Christian behind. It's in this scene when they have her on the pedestal that you can see her sister's face in the trees behind her. They seat her at the head of the table with Christian on the far other side. As she sits, they all sit. As she eats, they all eat. And she begins to see the flowers and leaves around her and on the table, breathing in and out as if they're alive. Yeah. Much like the psychedelic she took earlier in the film. Christian, on the other hand, is clearly having a bad reaction to the drink that was given to him. At the same time, Danny is given a herring for good luck. Uh, they tell her she has to eat it whole. She can't. But she tried, and they give her cheers for trying. Christian turns to the man next to him who claps in his face, uh, which is very jarring. It was a very cool yeah. shot, though, watching the ripple of the, yeah. the clap. I thought it was very cool. Uh, they give a toast to the May Queen, and the girl seated to Danny's right says, you're part of our family now, yes? Sisters. And this is the first time the word family has not prompted a panic attack in this movie. Yeah. Oh. And it's not because she drugged, because one of the times she was drugged when she freaked out about it. I would say at this point, 
Danny is now feeling a sense of belonging with this group more so than she feels with the people that brought her there. We are already starting to lose her to the cult at this point. Maya leaves the table, staring at Christian, and she walks behind Lady Siv into the religious house, the ritual house behind her. Pele is drawing a picture of Danny, now in her full May Queen regalia. Lady Siv stands to signal the end of the meal and then sends Danny to bless the crops and the livestock. She turns to see a carriage pulled by young women from the village, and she says, Can Christian come with me? And Lady Siv says, no, the queen must ride alone. Danny takes a torch and walks to the carriage. The girls pull her carriage off into the fields to bless the crops. Meanwhile, another woman makes a trail of flowers from the religious house to where Christian sits, and they beckon him to follow. Danny buries wheat and cuts of meat. Who knows what kind of cuts of meat or what kind of meat it is? That's people, baby. Uh, That's, people that meat. could be people meat. Yeah. And a cracked egg. They bury it in the fields, and she repeats sung blessings for the crops. Christian is now undressed as the elders of the village prepare him with smelling salts for vitality. They, like, blow it in his face. He walks into the main room where a circle of older Harga women stand in a semicircle chanting around Maya, who lays in the middle, naked, surrounded by flowers. We cut to Danny, who continues blessing the crops, and then Christian approaches Maya, and they begin to have sex. Now... This is, he is drugged. It's pretty yeah. coercive. Without yeah. that scene from the director's cut, it's a little dicey. It's problematic. Yeah. The cult is bad and manipulative. And this is probably more than anything else in the movie. One of the most manipulative things that they do is they kind of set him up to be discovered too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they set him up. They also set her up because they want Danny. They don't want him. But they've also murdered a bunch of people too. Like I, I don't think this is the worst thing, but it's bad. Yeah. Well, and I, I think as far as what we've seen them do deliberately. Sure. Because we sure, haven't sure, sure. seen the other murders. We haven't gotten to it yet. It's like a really serious Freddy versus Jason. Like they're both bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they were trying to play off the cult as good, I think this would be a little troubling. He is under the influence and not completely in control of his faculties. Yeah, it's sort of like being raped. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a little different with the director's cut, but again, that's not in this. Paige knows what the director is trying to get across. Todd is arguing what was seen. I get it. I get it. it. Here's the thing. Todd's right. That is what was seen in the theatrical cut. That's what most people have seen. But I think the director's cut is what the director intended and what they wanted. And personally, it's my preferred version of the film. He's not a great dude. The cult's not doing great things. There's no like right or wrong. It's just like, it's all terrible. Yeah, it's all wrong. Yeah, I that's agree. what I was going to yeah. say. It's all yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, because any way you slice it, either the cult is raping him, which is wrong and bad, or he has agreed and the cult still misled him about what all was going to happen in that ceremony, which is also right. bad. It's wrong any way you slice it. In one version, he has a little more agency, but the cult is still manipulating the situation. Yeah. And he's they're manipulating the fact that he's like not great because he's like, yeah, I, I would do that. I would have sex with your 16 year old, but like, make sure you don't tell my girlfriend about yes, it. Yes. And that's essentially in the director's cut. What he agrees to is basically like, oh, as long as as long as Danny doesn't know. That's one version and the other version, you know, it's the cult's really bad. They're still bad no matter. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. There's no rights. There's no there's no rights. Which is why this movie feels so icky. Yeah. This is definitely a part of the movie that feels icky no matter what. But also the funniest scene in this movie. 
<laughs> like, dude, this. Yes. Oh, I'm not. Oh, there's so much with this scene that I did not like. But like, okay, so like when he's on top of Maya and they're just going at it, yeah. And then that woman walks up and starts moaning in his face. It's Maya's mother. That's Maya's mom. Yes. Oh God. Anyway, so he gives her the same look I was giving the movie, which was like a. What the shit is happening right I, I now? I do love his reactions during it because he, at multiple points, is like, what the hell is happening? And then keeps going. Well, um, yeah, he's a dude. I mean, yeah. Well, you you got to finish. Yeah. But also, you really, <laughs> want a su- you, you really want a supportive mother-in-law. Oh, that's a different kind of support. I don't want a mother-in-law grabbing my hips and thrusting me in. Well, so the, the implication of the scene is it's Maya's first time and the women are experiencing it with her, including her mother. It's almost like they're passing a mantle down to her. The women begin to moan in tandem with Maya. Ruben is still in the room as this happens, yeah. watching the whole thing. But regardless, the carriage carrying Danny arrives back and the girl who's been kind of guiding Danny through says, we should go to Lady Siv's house where she will bless you. It's a ceremony for just the queens. But Danny hears the chanting and says, what's that? And the girl says, it's not for us. I think you should not. But she doesn't stop her. No one really stops her. No, because then Danny just goes towards it, looks through the hole in the door and sees what's happening. We don't see what she's seeing, but we've just seen it. Right. And it is not worth seeing again. So she now like is freaking out. and She even like throws up, right? She gasps, she runs outside, she vomits and then screams. The girls surround her and take her back to the common house where they scream along with her. Yeah, they are experiencing the grief with her like the old women are experiencing the, I guess, ecstasy or whatever is happening in there with Maya. Yeah, but more importantly, it's a marked difference from previously when Danny continually felt the need to hide her pain, but in contrast... Her pain is now shared among the group and she can grieve completely openly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where there's point of no return for her at this point. She's Yeah, because they're openly accepting her grief and experiencing it with her. I mean, I thought she would be kind of mad because like a third of the cult slept with her boyfriend. I think she suspected Christian was going to do it no matter what. And she doesn't know he's drugged. So for all she knows, he instigated it because they're playing on what she thinks about Christian because she doesn't know the reality of what's happened. I mean, that's okay. That is fair. But I don't know any guy that would be like, hey, Maya, let's do it. Bring your mom. Agreed. (laughs) I think for her, it's just the fact that they're having sex at all. I I think like, you know. We cut back to the ceremony with Maya where an old lady starts pushing on Christian's butt to like sex harder. I guess. He finishes and gets up. Maya pulls her legs back and up and rocks back and forth. That's to try and get pregnant. Well, and she does immediately so much so that she can feel the baby, she says. That's a horror movie that I am here. I was like, no! Uh, Christian runs out of the house, realizes he's naked. He hears Danny and the women screams. So he takes off for one of the laborer sheds. He sees a foot planted in the garden. It's clearly Josh's foot. With like a rune carved into the sole of it. Mm-hmm. He runs to what I believe is the chicken coop, only to find Simon flayed open with his lungs and ribs pulled out as wings. Oof. It's unclear if it's the drugs or if it's reality, but it appears that Simon's lugs are inflating and deflating. It looks like they're he's breathing. 
Yeah, meaning he's still breathing. Yeah. Um, which is impossible. Oh, I mean, but yeah, it's probably the drugs, but we see it like it's him breathing. Yeah. It's a scary shot. Yeah. This is based on an alleged Viking and Norse ritual called the Blood Eagle, in which the lungs were removed and pulled through the back like wings while the victim is still alive. Oh. However, yeah. However, there's not a ton of evidence for this actually occurring, especially because most people would have died of shock in the middle of it. So even if you sure. did live, you wouldn't live long. <laughs> Christian tries to get a closer look. And as he does, the Harga advance on him and blow something in his face, incapacitating him. It's likely scopolamine. He wakes to the voice of the woman who gave him the drink the day before. She has manually opened his eyes. She lets him know that he can't move or speak. And we pull back to reveal a ceremony where Danny is perched on a dais in a pile of flowers, like a cape of flowers. Yeah, it's like a dress that starts at her neck and goes out like a big triangle down. Yeah, it's very it's very avant garde artsy and I love it, uh, but not very (laughs) practical. Oh, it's not. When when we see her like in grief later in the movie, she looks like a slug moving across the grass. Yes. (laughs) But covered Um, in flowers. Yeah, covered in flowers. Uh, we find out that the Harga will sacrifice nine lives, four from Harga, one chosen by the queen, and four from outside, nine in all to die and be reborn. The new bloods are already supplied, meaning Connie and Simon, as yeah. well as Mark and Josh. And then from the Harga, they have two already dedicated, the elderly people from before, and two have volunteered. The two volunteers are Ingmar and Ulf, who's the ancestral tree guy. And Pele brought new blood and the new May Queen, so he's honored for his intuition. So he has like an extra fancy flower crown. Yeah, he does. Then they say that the Queen gets to choose between a new blood and a Harga. They bingo pick the Harga. I know. I thought that that was insane that they do like literal bingo. Yeah. Yes. And it's Tulbjorn who steps forward, never to be seen or talked about in the story again. He's just in this one scene. His name is actually Swedish for B7. That's great. I like that. That's really funny. I'm here here for it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I I think it would have been funny if his name was Free Space. Free Space. (laughs) So these are the two candidates that she has to choose from, and they say that they patiently await her verdict. We get a close-up on Danny, who looks insanely sad, but also so beautiful with all the flowers. <laughs> like, it's the prettiest, saddest shot in this movie. And then we cut <laughs> to the next scene, where the body of Connie is being carried via wheelbarrow to the yellow A-frame house. Yeah. Next comes the body of Mark, now only skin stuffed with straw. In the house, it is filled with hay bales, and they prop up the dead bodies of Connie, Simon, Mark, and Josh, along with the statues representing the two Harga from the Atastupa. We cut to one of the labor sheds where one of the older Harga is showing the young boys how to skin a bear. Christian sits immobile in the corner. They wheel him to the table and put him inside the bear skin. They then place the Christian-bear hybrid in the house, and they give him a speech that basically says, now is your time to reflect on your wickedness so like they also think christian's a bad guy i mean everyone who sees the way christian behaves thinks christian's a bad guy that did not surprise me my question was if christian wasn't a bad guy who has to be the bear like is the bear always the bad guy because the whole speech is like (laughs) evil beast or whatever oh i got the impression that whoever the may queen picks has the honor of being the bear because he is positioned in the center 
of this oh, pyramid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's whoever Danny finds unbearable. Oh, <laughs> hell yes. Jeez. Oh, I love it, Mikey. I like how we're trying to find jokes where there literally should be none. Yeah. And yep. listen, uh-huh. I appreciate what your hard work you're doing right now. <laughs> so Ingmar and Ulf sit in the house. Where they are given sap from the yew tree. To Ulf, they say, feel no pain. To Ingmar, they say, feel no fear. That's going to be important in a couple minutes. And much like a lot of homeopathic remedies, we find out very shortly that they absolutely do not work. Yep. The three Hargo walk in with torches and light the hay bales. The house itself begins to burn with everyone inside. Yeah. Danny looks on, at first horrified. But then inside the yellow house, Ingmar, Ulf, and Christian begin to burn alive. And scream. Ingmar and Ulf scream very much in pain and fear. Basically recognition that everything the cult has told them is fake, but now it's too late and there's no one that they can tell or warn. Yeah, it's almost a scream that with inside that scream, what they're actually saying is, my life has been a lie! <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Hargas chant in mourning, but soon their screams turn to frenzy. Danny coughing from smoke in her May Queen flower pile, coughs and looks on at the Hargas' grief. She turns back to the burning house and a smile creeps across her face as the Harga turn from frenzy to celebration behind her. And, and that's the movie. movie. All right. So having seen the movie, having talked about it, what do you guys think, Paige? Still really love it. Still really enjoy it. I know you love it, right? <laughs> I don't think my opinion of it has changed. After knowing all the, the director's cut stuff, I honestly wish they hadn't cut anything. It makes me hate Christian Moore. I don't really think I needed that. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like this movie is just about someone who is in a codependent relationship that's sort of abusive going from that relationship to another one. Yeah. And there's no real growth on her part. It is just her. I don't know. Just nothing really happens in this movie except she trades an abusive boyfriend for an abusive cult. Yeah. And and here's the thing. I don't necessarily know that it's growth as much as it's descent into madness. Yeah. Mikey, what do you think about it? I think I like it more having Paige talk about it because, I mean, like, this is Paige month and this is obviously one of Paige's favorite horror films. I mean, it's a movie I like. Okay. All right. Let's not pretend we didn't just listen to, like, two hours of you talking about this movie. She's walking it back. She's walking it back. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Here's, here's the thing. You guys already did the thing. I didn't get to gush on that one, so. No, but, I mean, hearing you talk about it made me like it more. And, like, like I, I think The Shining is a good, ex- like, yeah. compare. Like, I think it does transcend most horror films where it is so detailed yeah. and dark. And all of those things that make it a great film are things that I don't like about it because I'm just not here for it. At least maybe not right now. It is an emotional investment. I think The Shining does kind of the same in some cases. And that's why not everyone's going to like it. And that's okay. And it's okay to not like it. I feel like Ari Aster really wanted to showcase so much of what he could do. Yeah. And he should have dialed back a little bit. And then we would have found a good movie within this movie. But it's just so long. And some of the shots that linger are just punishing to sit through. I understand why people find this incredibly boring. Because it is on some level incredibly boring. I understand why it is that way. Because he's trying to make you sit in the grief. And then sit in the weirdness of these like mm-hmm. situations. But it ultimately makes it boring. I think maybe. But I also think that he does a, a better job than almost any director with Hereditary in this doing a visual storytelling of 
grief, like the yeah. feeling of grief, the inescapable, the oppressiveness that is. Yeah, page man, we're right on the same page. It's it's an oppressive movie, and I think they both start out with such tragic, horrible events, and really, what's after it isn't important. He just uses it as a device to tell you what people with grief feel like. And yeah. what they're willing to do and give up to feel a sense of belonging somewhere. That I mean, that's ultimately yeah. why she joins this cult and why she stays in the relationship with Christian. It is a dark, oppressive movie that <laughs> is beautiful and I really enjoy. But yeah, again, it's something I watch once a year or when I have to talk about it on a podcast. Right. I've seen this movie <laughs> twice and I'll never watch it again. I will recognize that it's a great film. It's just long and it should be an hour less. Yes. Here's the thing. Director's cuts in a half hour longer. I prefer that cut, even though it's longer. But again, after going to see the director's cut, my husband, after leaving the theater, just said, I think I'm cool with never seeing this again. Like, it's oh, brilliant, yeah. right. but I don't need to see it again. Same. So, Paige, do you have some fun facts for us? I do. So, as I mentioned kind of briefly, the film was originally given an NC-17 rating by the MPAA, and that's what basically led them to cut 30 minutes out of the film, but it was due to thematic content. There's no additional gore. There's no additional sex scenes other than what we already see. It is purely because the movie was so dark with that extra 30. But personally, I feel like the context that that extra 30 gives for me make it a better characterized movie. If that makes sense, I feel like the things we gain just give us a little bit more insight into all the characters. The movie's still fine without it. I just kind of prefer the longer version personally. Yeah. Uh, most of the Swedish dialogue in the film is deliberately not subtitled. And this is done specifically to create a sense of isolation for the audience to basically make you feel foreign and confused as well. Oh, well, they do that with the actual rituals that just happen sort of off camera not off camera but like behind in the scenes yeah because you're like what the hell's going on there but we never know what that is we never know what that is the only subtitles that are included are the ones that are needed for story structure basically yeah. only to move things from a to b yeah. when the film was released in sweden rather than eliciting fear or an, or discomfort in the audience Many people laughed and many Swedish critics praised the film as a black comedy. When we did our bonus episode on this for Cult Podcast and we got to interview somebody who was raised Norse pagan, we actually got a lot of write-ins from people in Sweden informing us that the movie represents what Americans think of this type of a Swedish society as opposed to reality. For example, we got a lot of pictures of outfits and they're all way more colorful, but white was used specifically because it looks more cult-like in the movie. So there's yeah. a lot of things that Swedish people would have more cultural understanding of that we don't sure um, and it's been really interesting to hear from our Swedish listeners on that the film was greenlit on May 18th 2018 literally it was announced the same week hereditary came out in theaters and it premiered June 18th 2019 meaning that this film was made in only one month longer than Nightmare on Elm Street 2. <laughs> wow. Isn't that bonkers? That like yes. with almost the same amount of time we could get this or Nightmare on Elm Street 2. This is way better than Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Although I'd watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 again. I'll never watch this again. That's very fair. I did kind of cover that the practice of Atastupa is a myth. It's taken from a 13th century Icelandic account 
Um, and it's basically to make the people in Norway and greater Scandinavia seem more barbaric than sure. the people in Iceland. Jack Rayner, who stars in the movie as Christian, has played cult members and temporary cult leaders before on the CBS All Access show Strange Angel, which is about Jack Parsons based on the book Strange Angel. If you want to read about Jack Parsons, I recommend the book Sex and Rockets. I find it to be better. After the sex scene, Christian was supposed to run away in the robe that he had entered the room in. But the actor, Jack Rayner, suggested that Christian run out completely nude to appear more vulnerable. Thus, he appears fully nude when trying to escape. And he was inspired by the movie The Last House on the Left. And like many other films in the horror genre where female characters are disrobed and humiliated and or assaulted before their demise. And he felt that it was due time that a male character be made to suffer similar indignation. I'm surprised that that was the actor's choice, but that's cool. Yeah. Despite being the main characters and with the exception of screams, neither Danny nor Christian speak in the last 25 minutes of the film. Which is crazy. When Christian is being prepared to be sacrificed, the villagers put him in a bear suit, similar to Nicolas Cage's bear suit in Wicker Man 2006. That movie, obviously, is a remake of the original Wicker Man from 1973, which we should totally watch. It's not nearly as dark. It's very, very fun. But that's considered the basis for Midsummer. It also follows specifically a Catholic police officer who is executed by the pagan cult effectively a christian killed by pagans so that's part of why his name is christian in this movie and those are your fun ah. facts well thank you for those fun facts Paige. yeah all right let's do box office so what do you think the budget for this movie was um i think this movie looks more expensive than it is yes i say 10 million I'm going to actually say 20 mil. Okay. So Mikey's closer. It was $9 million. Real? This looks yeah. amazing for $9 million. Right? This looks like a $30 million movie to me. Uh, I mean, I don't think so. It's because there's not very many locations. That's you have true. like four or five sets in the States, and then you build that one compound, and that's yeah. it. And that compound is the movie's playground. I think it's just well shot. I think so, too. So this movie came out on July 5th, 2019, mm -hmm. and it was 6th the week it came out. It was beat by Spider-Man Far From Home, Toy Story 4, Yesterday, Annabelle Comes Home, the live action Aladdin and then Midsummer was uh sixth that week. What do you guys think it made in its first weekend in domestic theaters? If it came in sixth, this was the middle of the summer. Yeah. Probably like five million dollars. Yeah, I was gonna say like five million, maybe. Yeah, it's six point five million actually. So a little bit okay. better than that. Which isn't terrible on a $9 million budget. It made yeah. almost two-thirds of that back within its first weekend. It went on to make $27 million domestically and then another $19 million foreign. So it made $46 million. That's not bad. Total box office. But this went on to make another $2.4 million uh, at home DVD and Blu-ray sales. So it went on to make close to $50 million, like $48.5 right around there. Total gross. 
To put into perspective, Hereditary that came out around the same time a year before made $81 million at the box office, international and domestic, and another $4.5 million, so around $85 million total if you include the home box office. That was that 4.5 I mentioned earlier. I think Hereditary was also, A, it is a more straightforward horror movie. and I think It is a straightforward horror yeah. movie that people can watch and watch and watch, and Midsummer just is not. Agreed, a hundred percent. And I feel like it was very much marketed that way too. And Midsummer, I think they tried to market as a horror movie, and I think we all kind of expected it to be. And instead, what we got is kind of a very dark, emotionally invested art film. Yeah, absolutely. So that's box office. So, Mikey, let's do that scary scale. Yeah, scary scale, listeners. The scale one to ten, how scary we found the film today. Not a scale of quality. Our one example is Ghostbusters, and our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, and how scary were you tonight, Paige? I actually am going to give this about a two. Um, it's not yeah. a straightforward one to me, even though I've seen it multiple times. I think it's because every time you watch it, it puts you back in that emotional frame of mind, which is uncomfortable and unsettling. And so I give it at least a two. What about you, Todd? I'm going to give it a three. Some of that imagery is hard to watch. And it's not like jump scary, which is what normally gets me. But man, it is so hard to watch some of that gore, man. I'm also going to give it a three because I feel nice. like you're I agree with you Todd and I also feel like it is such an oppressive feeling film yeah so this week you guys made me watch Midsummer. what are you guys making me watch next week we're not the listeners are making you watch oh that's right it was the listener request and uh Paige your selection for what the theme should be was badass women of horror and man the listeners delivered they suggested over 65 movies and we winnowed it down to the final four, you know, the ones that were suggested the most. And they were Final Girls, Ginger Snaps, The Craft, and The Hunt. And The Craft barely edged out Ginger Snaps for the listener request win. So, listeners, your homework next week is to watch The Craft for next week's episode. Yeah, so, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? I do, actually, for the first time. That's amazing. Well, hold off on reading it. Let me explain how they can have their review run right on the podcast, and that is simply to leave us a five-star text review. That text will give something Mikey to read and have a little fun with, and then we can uh, read your review on the podcast. So leave us that five-star review, guys. Mikey, hit us with that review. All right, I'm going to read Reggie092800. Okay. They said har version, parentheses, my first review. <laughs> oh, nice. They're a review virgin. Oh, that's really funny. I began listening <laughs> to this podcast two months ago, and I have fallen in love with you guys. Aww. Todd and Mikey are very hilarious, and I always find myself laughing out loud to them. I highly recommend horror fans listen to this very fun podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much, Reggie, for that awesome five-star review. We appreciate it. I was going to do a funnier review, but it wouldn't fit with the tone of this episode, which is dark and oppressive. That is fair. If you want to have your review run on the podcast, just leave us that five-star review. So we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network, and if you would check out their other podcasts at consequenceofsound.net, uh, or if you want to check out our stuff, we are at horrorvirgin.com. And if you want to help financially support the show, please do by going to patreon.com slash horrorvirgin, where there's literally hours of bonus audio and video content, listener requests like you were able to participate in to pick what movie we're doing next, all that kind of stuff. So guys, check out the Patreon. And if you can't help financially support the show, but still want your daily free Horror Virgin content, go to the Facebook group. And it's like 1,500 people hanging out, talking about horror having a good time, supporting each other. It's a great, really welcome community. It's awesome. We won't sew you up into a bear suit and then set you on fire, we promise. We will. 
<laughs> if you like this power thruple and you want to hear us talk about romantic movies, check out our other podcast, Romancing the Pod. Paige is also on Cult Podcast and Black Card Rehab. And if you want to follow our show on social, we are at Horror Virgin. We are all available individually on socials as well. Paige is at Rampage Wesley everywhere but Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mm -hmm. Mikey is at M Randolph24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. So follow us. This episode was brought to you by Nick, Nick B. B. Uh, Nick B. Fun fact. Oh, yeah. He joined a British cult kind of like this. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Uh, instead of throwing themselves off a cliff, they would just slowly get into a bog. And it <laughs> took a lot longer. They would just slowly walk into a bog? Yeah. Oh, that's no fun. No. And uh, just slowly drown? Yeah, they'd lose their voices from the chanting because it would take so long. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, that sounds awful. Nick B, maybe get out of that cult before you bog it out or whatever. This episode also brought to you by Ori. And Ori did me a solid. I had like this really weird conversation with like a loved one and I called Ori and she gave me some really good advice about how, you know, if they're not willing to like give me support when I need support, they're not really worth having in my life. And I just generally appreciate that. That's why I don't talk to Christian anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for that awesome advice, Ori. We now return you to another episode of The, the Patrioticals. All right, so uh, we lost, left everyone on Antarctica or whatever. Yep. And uh, <laughs> basically, Isaac, Evil Matthew, Dave, and Karoon took a lifeboat and have gone out into the middle of the ocean for some reason, and that's not going well. Isaac decides, he's like, Dave, we have to kill you and eat you. And so they keep repeatedly killing Dave and eating him. Oh, wow. This is getting dark and we just finished the midsummer episode and i'm saying that yeah this was supposed to be like a joke but like it's now with this episode it's just what's happened <laughs> you wrote anyway, this before we did the episode clearly karoon was like i'm not from this planet so this isn't cannibalism i guess that's fair in a very strange way i think i'm on his side right i mean because he's not human right no and in a weird turn of events evil matthew just takes chunks of dave and like fishes with it and catches fish and eats those so they're stuck they're actually like isaac's like you guys maybe i screwed up i just wanted to leave all those people but we're kind of lost in the middle of the ocean and we're eating dave over and over again yeah because like 20 minutes later dave just regenerates like the wolverine and he's like guys it really hurts when you kill me and eat me <laughs> but really dave could solve world hunger He's not fishes and or loaves. There's only so much Dave to go around, Mikey. So back in the main Antarctica area, that was where their prison was when they were in the Matrix in the Old West. You guys remember this? Yes. Right, yeah, back. absolutely. Dylan and Brandon landed their helicopter. Those are two guys who were scientists stuck in Antarctica during the end of the world during the Sunny D virus. Right. So Brandon's like, look. We had a bunch of people at our research station, but they slowly got killed. We escaped on this helicopter. After testing everyone's blood to see which one of them was the killer? Yes, Paige. Yes, yes, Paige. Yes! <laughs> this is very a the thing moment. Here for it. But we don't know. So, like, one of them's the thing. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. One of them's the thing. We oh, don't no. know if it's Dylan or Brandon. We're not going to find out this week, uh, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but tristam and kate and eddie eddie uh gets the penguins i don't know seals 
He gets the marine life around Antarctica to bring up pieces of sunken ships from the bottom of the Antarctic Sea. Okay. All right. Yeah. And uh, Tristan uses them to build the helicopter bigger. Okay. So they're taking like ships from the 1800s and building a helicopter out of them. Sorry, are they building like rafts on the side of the helicopter? No, you guys. Let me. I I need to visualize this for you guys with my words. Sure, 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 sure. I want I want the most realistic version. They're taking the helicopter apart. They're getting pieces of ships. Sasha and Eddie have to really work hard to like really organize the penguins to do all the manual labor because they don't want to and they have to trick them and it's really hard so they have to catch a bunch of fish it's like this whole convoluted thing you guys wouldn't even believe it but it happened and we're just gonna had a on. hell of a time getting that stone here <laughs> yeah. i'm livid that you're yada yada yadaing over how a penguin can hammer something or use tools they have no opposable thumbs have you ever seen madagascar i i thought for sure you were gonna say march of the penguins okay so anyway the ships are not 1800 ships they're like early 1900 ships were like explorers were like shackleton's expedition yeah that makes complete sense yeah totally different they have metal so anyway they're fusing all the metal together to make like a mad mech style chinook okay that also can land in the water yeah that sounds good too (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know how it's fueled but it's like they're trying to build the thing to escape antarctica anyway they all get in it and they're like well where are we gonna go and they're like dylan was like we definitely need to go where the the most people are like right now like we totally have to go where the most people are and brandon is like i don't know why he's saying that that's kind of weird i don't know if he's this is you know we had a thing kill all our people, and now he's acting a little bizarre, but we tested our blood, and then everybody's like, what are you talking about? They're like, don't worry about it. So anyway, on the radio, they get a message. He's like, my name is Scott. I'm the mayor of Freetown in Greenland. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, we fought back the zombies, and we've destroyed two flying submarine things that the Illuminati control. Oh, look at them. Anyway, Scott's like, please come. The Illuminati suck. We have a free city. We don't know how long we're going to last, but we have... A lot of people here. And then Brandon's like, definitely, definitely go there. So they set the course of their little helicopter and they head that way. And that's the end of this week's episode. Is Scott just luring our heroes there to take advantage of them? How many days would it take to solve world hunger? Did they do a test flight before our crew got into Frankencopter? Or did they just like (laughs) pray it would work on the first go? Find out next week on another episode of The The Patrioticals. That's going to be it for us this week, guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Have a great week. Bye. Pagan nerds. (laughs) Todd, you know what the Harkas eat for breakfast? What? Bear claws. Oh, my God. I hate you so much right now. Consequence Podcast Network.